drinking my ciders again this week. County apple cider. Aha. Prince Edward County's very own. Born and raised. I also have a local brew, which is funny because we have a reasonably famous local brewery. Um, and I like their beer. I just never seem to have any. Like, I, I drink it when I go out. I don't ever drink it here. So this is Pembroke Pills. I think it's new. Cindy bought it at the uh, the farmer's market. Yeah. Got something else, too. It's a little more mainstream. Summer's Bee Pear Cider. Oh. I just went out to, to dinner with Tanya and uh, skipped dessert. So I thought I'd have something a little little sweet to wrap things up. Rudy. So, I need to know why, and I have a hunch, but why did you react the way that you did when I asked whether I was pulling you away from Diablo 4 this weekend? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I, I can't remember my reaction. It was sarcastic, I think. Oh, it was. You basically said probably never. Uh, I'm, I don't hear, well, here's the thing, right? Like, I'm... I'm very conscious anymore about hype and how how much of an effect marketing has on our life. I think mm-hmm. I think that's probably like a whole episode's worth of of talking is marketing and how it how it bends us. Um, but it basically like the hype didn't did not reach me for Diablo Four. Like I still I still enjoy Diablo Three. Like I was actually playing mm-hmm. Diablo Three today. See, and that's that's why I'm a little bit surprised. It's because like. I tried Diablo 3. I bounced off of it very, very quickly in the early days, and I just had no interest in going back. It was a game that lacked, I think, a lot of what they've put into Diablo 4 from what I've heard, like functioning a little bit better as a single-player game with a little bit more sort of narrative oomph and weight. If Um, if you jumped out of Diablo 3 early, you may want to go back because it's... It's an excellent casual grindcore type game. Yeah. And we'll see. I, you know, and, and this will come up in our, in our main topic today, but I find myself playing games less and less just to have something to do. And Diablo 3, at least what I felt, and even going back and, you know, rose-colored glasses, looking at Diablo 2, a lot of what that was when I was playing it was just something to do. And I'm not one to, to normally sort of take a stand, but I absolutely hate what Blizzard, Blizzard Activision has become. Yeah. So, you know, there's zero chance I'm going to pony up, what, like $100 Canadian? Oh, 100% never. Never yeah. that. You know, and I'm arguing with myself about like, I'm hearing good things about it and maybe I would like it, but like, even at 60 bucks, do I want to, do I want to give that to Blizzard? Like, I'm hoping for the, the, the Blizzard Activision King sort of like Microsoft buyout for a few reasons. But the number one reason is because that whole layer of management from Blizzard, Bobby Kotick, you know, right on down will eventually just be removed. And that's a double-edged sword because, you know, they have a stake in it. So they're going to get a lot of money if that merger happens too. But I, that... I don't I don't know any of the players involved and I've only really heard about the awful, the awfulness of things in general. But I mean, that's kind of how I feel about corporate 
America right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, nobody knows everything. Blizzard was one of those companies back in the day when they were the Blizzard that we grew up on, kind of. Blizzard North. That was that was almost immune to that. You know, they functioned on their own terms. Yep. I mean, they, they outgrew their britches, you know. Yeah. But, you know, they were one of the organizations that made enough money that they didn't have to do the shit that other companies like EA were doing to, you know, pad numbers for this quarter. They were quite happy to delay a game until it was done. Can a game if they couldn't find the fun, you know, and, and that's all gone now, you know, obviously Activision, uh, that merger pushed them in the direction of Activision was really great back in the day too. I mean, do you remember pole position? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, but and, and this is another topic for another day, you know, like video game companies, the the studios and developers versus the publishers, right? Like the yeah. people like, you know, where their only role is, I've got a financial stake in this. I want money out of it. That and that again comes down to the whole problem with, with corporate America. I, You know what? I heard an interesting thing the other day that sort of ties in to all of this and our our brand, if you will. Um the dragon Smaug from The Hobbit, right? Someone was able to take sort of like the CGI numbers and calculate the volume of gold that Smaug is sleeping on. And that puts, uh, I think it just barely puts that the, the dragon Smaug in the top 10 richest people in the United States. Just barely. Yeah, <laughs> and it does, and in worldwide, I'm not even sure that that Smaug is in the top 100, and that just makes me go like, what? What do you like? Like literally, what are you doing with all of that? You're just literally sleeping on a hoard of gold, and and trying to make it bigger, and it's it's literally like. It's if you had like a bathtub full of gold and you swish the gold to one end and then you swish it back to the other end and now it's a bigger pile of gold. Like, what have you done? What have you accomplished? I don't know, man. I mean, uh, I think it takes a certain kind of person to 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 be that kind of person, and I am on the opposite end of that spectrum. Oh yeah, you know, I've I've always thought of it this way: when you're, you know, you got to be a sociopath first of all. Like, uh-huh. so you're playing a game of life, you know, on extreme difficulty, and the hoard of money you have is how you keep score. It's not about what you do with the money. It's well, no, it's, it's just that you have the highest score, you know, or it's, you're on the leaderboard somewhere. Yeah, I think I think probably we should you know change the uh, change the topic before we get censored for you know being communists or something. <laughs> I think everyone uh, should have a roof over their head and food to eat. That's commie talk. So I have a, a, a just a funny anecdotal story, not nerdy in the slightest. Um, but it was an experience last night. So for context, uh, we're going back way before the pandemic now. Uh, Tanya and I, along with a couple of other friends that were local, uh, we won tickets to the rock station, K-Rock in Kingston, does contests. And, and they've just started it up for the first time after the pandemic again to win tickets to go on what they call their party cruise. Oh, okay. Now, it's uh, a boat, like the Island Queen, they call it. It is sort of 
done up all like a like an old school riverboat. Like it's not huge. This isn't like a, a cruise liner. This is cram, you know, 150 people or 200 people onto this riverboat style boat, bounce around the Thousand Islands, and get some live entertainment. And I mean, I'm I'm still kind of whiffy on crowds. Like I didn't I don't like being in big crowds of people before the pandemic. And my headspace right now is like, you know, I had to come home and shower. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was a date night. Wifey and I don't get out that much anymore. And it was nice. And I was looking forward to like live music. You know, it's something that I like. I have the music that I listen to and I have particular tastes that range from like weird eclectic stuff to, you know, some mainstream stuff. But I can appreciate a live show of absolutely anything, you know, like, almost. Yeah, almost. So, but it was weird because they weren't naming the band. And I think the last few shows they did before the pandemic, they were doing the same thing. That was just, you know, some local band that was doing it. Sometimes it was a cover band. Sometimes it was like a tribute band or, or something like that. And I'm like, whatever. It doesn't yeah. matter what the band is. It's going to be great. They have the self-confidence to perform in public. They're good enough. Well, that's, as it turns out, not entirely true. Oh, uh-oh. So, <laughs> they announce it. There's some pretty big hype for this thing, right? Like, you know, it's been pushed on the radio for the last month or so. There's, like, billboards for it. You enter to win just on the website. So, you know, Tanya's really good at kind of gaming that kind of stuff and staying up and making sure she's entering every day. And sometimes for multiple accounts, if she can get around whatever it is, like, you know. We've won all sorts of things that way, whether it's tickets to go see Leafs preseason games or, you know, we've been to this this party cruise thing a few times now. And we show up and, you know, it's all looking good. There's there's like a drum kit and like a guitar and mic set up. And I'm like, OK, so small band. That's totally fine. And what happens is we all get onto this boat. Uh, it's three levels, two decks. The bottom deck was almost empty, and we were hanging out down there because, A, we you know didn't want to be packed in with everyone, and B, when the band came on, we wanted to get close enough to actually enjoy the performance, not just hear it, watch it, you know? And we were standing around just having drinks, socializing, like having an okay time for the better part of three hours. And then some guys finally start milling around the stage and basically what happened is they didn't have a budget for the band, so they say. So a couple of the radio personalities oh. that like jam once in a while got themselves drunk enough that they had the confidence to go on stage and play a whole oh, bunch of Tom Petty no. covers. And it was... Was listen, it mediocre? <laughs> uh, it, oh, It was boy. funny, right? <laughs> It was funny, but it wasn't worth standing around on a boat in the heat wondering what's going on for three yeah. hours to get what amounted to about 45 minutes worth of bad, like, enjoying it ironically, Tom Petty covers from Not oh. a Band. Ouch. You know, which, like, that was the thing that I, like, I was going for. I mean, it was good to have date, a date night with Tanya and I, and we get to go out, and, you know, that was that was great. But I was really looking forward to like, hey, I haven't seen live music in a long time. And you know what? I still haven't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and there's two things. Like one, they could have probably treated it like an open mic night and just got a few people in that just wanted some exposure. And there would have been like Kingston has oh, a yeah. thriving sort of like 
Yeah. Musicians. Like the, the, there's a whole big kind of thing there. Right. Well, but yeah, also like, now too. yeah, if you're not going to do that, like you're a, you're radio DJs, man. Like, why don't you bring some of your remote gear? Cause you do remotes all the time. And yeah. at least DJ, like there was for the three hours, we were all standing around. They were playing like two or three songs from the same artist over and over again on these shitty boat speakers. Oh, like, no. It was just just agony to listen to whether you liked the song or not. That's what <sighs> we got until, you know, somebody tried to jump on stage and, and, and make some noise. And like. You know what? People were enjoying it at that point in time. I was enjoying it, ironically, because it was funny. But there was a lot of people that were just loaded enough that, like, whatever. Yeah. You know, you could have gone up and done anything on stage, and they would have been into it. I mean, did, you got a free boat ride is basically what you got. Yeah. But you had to drive there. Had to drive there, stand around in uncomfortable heat, because it was literally, like, 7 million degrees. Yeah, it was hot as balls here on Saturday, too. And I walked 18 holes of golf. Oh, my God. Yeah. I thought I was going to expire. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it was a good time. We got out of there like 1030 or so and um, made our way home. But I, I just it's funny to talk about it now. I was legit disappointed. Like the last band that we went to saw, just to give you a sort of where I was, was like we went and saw I Mother Earth, like a full acoustic show. The last uh -huh. time we went. Uh, now, it wasn't with Edwin. It was with uh, Brian Byrne, sort of the guy that was replacing him before Edwin came, uh, Edwin came back. You know, not like world rock stars, but like in that sort of 90s era Canadiana rock, which is to me highly underrated. One of my yep. favorite bands of all time. Um, you know, even if you wouldn't put them on a level with sort of mainstream radio rock musicians of the today. But that's the last show we saw. And then I was prepared to step down to, hey, if it's just a local, like, cover sure. band doing shit, like, that's still fun. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get that either, so. Oh, like, even, like, there's a lot of, like, even in, in Trenton and Belleville, there's a lot of local talent. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's worth watching. Like, I've, I've seen some bars, some bands play in bars and just thought, like, hey, this is, this is good. And, like, Kingston has, and, and, you know, kudos to the city. Like they have a big annual buskers festival, but like they yes. also support regular busking pretty much all summer up yep. and down Princess Street. Yep. Like I'm sure any one of those people would have been happy to jump on oh, the, yeah. the boat and put on a decent show just for tips. Like, yeah, you know, without actually the station playing them, you know, get some exposure. Maybe they get their big break. You never know, but it just. And it didn't sound like they had a band that pulled out at the last minute. Like they were being really secretive from the beginning as they started pushing this thing about like not naming who the band was going to be. Well, uh, there wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, a bait and switch. I hope uh, nobody well, paid for that. No. Uh, well, I mean, everybody's, you know, paying at the bar and like, you know, drinks. No, on no a, I mean, like boat, I but... bought I bought tickets to go on the barge to see the band. And then, no, yeah. No, the bad. only way you could get in was to win the contest. So, you oh, know, it's okay. not like they're generating a ton of revenue with it, but. Well, funny story. I've only ever, well, I didn't win. Cindy won. Uh, we've only ever won one thing on the radio and it was tickets to see Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, it was K-Rock and it was at, um, oh, what, what the heck is the stadium called? Um, 
in Kingston. The the what used to be the K Rock Center. It's now yeah. uh, Leon's Center. Yeah, it was the K Rock Center at the time, and I mean, he basically came in for one night, and the contest was you had to send a picture of your cardigan. So she sent a picture of our cat at the time sleeping on the only cardigan that either one of us owned. And it was one that my dad had given me and I have never worn, (laughs) (laughs) but I guess they thought that was cute enough. So we got tickets. It was a funny show. It was a funny show. I mean, in retrospect, like I, I look back on it now and I wonder how much, how much, like because we we went and got we got uh, to go backstage and meet him and you know like take photos and whatever um and i i his behavior was a little odd and i wonder how much of that is i really thought it was odd at the time and how much of it is now that i know some things about bill cosby am i recoloring that interaction in my brain and i honestly probably don't know. a little of both probably yeah Probably. <laughs> but I mean, on the other hand, like, first of all, like he's from a different part of the world, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he's a generation older than I am. And he's been famous for, I don't know, like half a century, right? Of course, his behavior is going to seem a little odd to me. He doesn't have normal people interactions anymore. No. And even before becoming sort of a, a bit of a pariah, mm-hmm. like he would have yeah. been at that stage in his career where like 15 years ago, I was feeling super stadiums yeah and now i'm doing you know and you know that 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 arena in kingston is nice but like what is it it's not huge five thousand people or something like that right yeah and it was only half full yeah right like they they literally blocked off like one sort of corner one one end of the stadium and and did that like i say it was a funny show but you know looking back on it now it's yeah yeah and that can go either way some of the best like live shows now mostly music but even some comedy stuff are guys that have like used to pack stadiums and now kind of come in and just like do their thing on a small stage yeah some of them like you can tell that they're just not happy to be there and some of them like they give it all to please those fans because they're in it for the music yeah yeah i saw saw the tea party at uh here in belleville actually at the empire theater so you're talking oh wow i don't know like 1500 seats maybe not even that probably not even that maybe a thousand yeah like tanya got me tickets basically front row and it is one of the best live performances i've ever seen like for band ever i haven't been to very many things i i have i have um i have two sort of semi-interesting stories the first is i saw gordon lightfoot at the k-rock center Mm -hmm. um Cause I, I mean, he's one of those artists that I like, I play and sing his music badly. Um, you know, and Cindy picked up on that. So she got me tickets and it was great because and it was sort of amusing because it was just after the last time they reported that Gordon Lightfoot had died. So he came out on stage <laughs> and said, rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated, <laughs> which was super great. And then of course, you know, like we, we heard he passed away earlier this year. Um, but the other, I, I was at um, Festival Boreal in Sudbury, the Northern Lights Festival, and um, uh, uh, what the heck is the the Superman song? Uh, God, can't remember the name of the band. But the lead singer was so drunk he forgot the lyrics. You know, and he's this, this, like, so is this, are we talking like three doors down kind of like Rocky stuff or are we talking like, 
oh, spin uh, doctors kind of that era. Um, but Jimmy Olsen's uh, blues spin doctors. Oh like, God, I don't I'm, know who it was. I'm, I'm going to have to look it up. It's it, they wrote, or they did the Superman song and Peter Pumpkinhead. Oh, um, crash test dummies, crash test dummies. Yeah. Yeah. They came out and he was so like they had, uh, at that point they had a, a woman singing with them and like, she picked it up and carried it and the show was good, but you could literally see the band looking at each other and looking at him with disgust on their face. Like he was stumbling, falling down drunk. Like yeah. he was, he was trying to pick up like teenagers in the in the mosh pit, like on the mics, like, hey, you should come back to my hotel room later. It's like, dude, yeah. like you have a problem. That's a shame. They were such an interesting sort of band to to, to listen to, too. Yeah. I mean, I like you their know, music. Different. Just, you know. Yeah. Speaking of yeah. singing bad and playing badly, though, um, we're having our first sort of post pandemic work get together. Hmm? That's just going to be in my boss's backyard. But over the last few years, like our number of musicians or wannabe musicians on payroll has like tripled. Uh oh. Um, so David, their project manager, actually like records and releases albums, you know, runs a small studio himself, pretty talented guy. Uh Paul, the developer I'd recently hired, um, shrimp and pineapple pizza guy. Oh. Uh is uh I- well, I heard him noodle on my guitar at the office once, but like I know he was conservatory trained uh, guitarist. And I mean, just picking up my guitar for 30 seconds, I could say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah he knows what he's doing. I mean, I used to be okay, you know, I played in bands forever, but it's basically going to turn into a bit of a jam session around a campfire kind of thing, like, you know, the shit we used to do back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, half in the tank. It'll be great. <laughs> Yeah, those are uh, those are good work outings if you can manage it. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned uh, you had a question, actually, that you posted in our doc that I thought would be an interesting thing to explore this episode. Uh, okay. And that is, what makes a game, video game or otherwise, good? What games do you consider good and why? Well, I'll throw the question to you first, because um, I have my ideas, but I'm interested to know what you think. Well, I have a simple question that's going to say absolutely nothing, or a simple answer, rather. And then a more complex answer that I probably won't be able to to make any sort of sense out of. The simple answer is, it needs to scratch an itch in a satisfying way. Mm-hmm. And of course, the complex thing to explore is, well, what different sorts of itches can you scratch and how many itches can you scratch with a singular piece of, of art or you know, media, video game, game or whatever? And that that's the thing I can't spawn answer. Other questions. Right. You know, like I have games that I enjoy for different reasons. You know, some of them were games back in the day, like maybe, you know, why I like Diablo 2 so much, that it's just something to do, you know? I can I can log in, I can play for 15 minutes and, you know, click, 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 click until my finger hurts. Or your mouse breaks. Then I'm done. Yeah. And, I mean, I got into, you know, MMOs for, for a long time, super serious for a while, and those scratched 
several different itches. Um, Narrative-focused games, uh, you know, they scratch their own itches. I look at something like Mass Effect uh, as Uh a game that, like, you don't look at the the core gameplay loop, like the mechanics of combat, and say, wow, this is just a super tight, great game. It was clunky, especially the first game. But everything around it, you know, scratched the same sort of itches that, like, watching an epic movie or a TV show scratched. Like, buying into the story, creating this sort of unique setting, like, you know, sort of like you can do with D&D too, right? Like, building relationships with your crew and, and, you know, being this super, super epic hero or team of heroes that's going to save the galaxy. Now, there's a million games that try to do that, and they're not all good. So the execution certainly matters. You know, you got to scratch the itch in a satisfying way. But I find a, like there's so many games now. Even like, you know, let's get out of video games for a second, like board games and mm-hmm. and tabletop games where I wonder if they even tried to find an itch, you know, and maybe it just doesn't resonate with me, you know, like not everything is for everyone, but. You know what? It might actually be easier to define what makes a game bad. Maybe. I don't know. I have an answer too, and and my answer I stole from somewhere, and I honest to God don't know from where. And it might have actually been from the original Blizzard, because I think it was used to describe Diablo too. But it it comes down to a, a good game should be easy to learn but difficult to master, right? And if you look at sort of what games have have lasted the longest, and it like it's basically it's like chess, um, and Go, uh. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like things like that, where it's like, okay, the rules are super simple, but actually figuring out how to, how to, you know, win. And then I got to thinking about things like Dungeons and Dragons crossed my mind too, because it's a, it's a great game, but I'm not sure that you can really define that as a game and, and, you know, to dig a little bit deeper, to go a little bit more meta, it, it comes like, what, what is a game? Right. Like, because if you think about it, if you you think about like chess, for example, has two opposing players and there's a winning condition. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you have Dungeons and Dragons where you have between, you know, one and as many players as you can fit around a table who won't get bored while you're dealing with them. And there is no winning condition. Right, mm-hmm. the, and there's uh, it. It brings to mind some uh, some things from game theory, right? Which there, there's finite games, chess, football, baseball. You have you know a known number of players. You have like a set of rules, and you have a winning condition. You have infinite games, Dungeons and Dragons being a perfect example, where you have known and unknown players. You can cycle players through. Like I've actually mm-hmm. played in games where I mean we had a running joke. We, it was the name of our party was the party of three, sometimes four, very seldom five with often changing party members because we started off, um, we had a very, a very rules focused and sort of punitive DM. Like he was very adversarial. It was a lot of fun, but it was a very different sort of flavor from the games that we play. Um, and like he was, he was totally okay with killing off players. Like that was mm-hmm. sort of his goal. He wanted to do it within the rules and within uh, like a fair contest. It wasn't, haha, you know, you meet the Tarask, you're all dead. 
it was, okay, so there's five of you, and I, I threw you into this encounter, and only one of you died. That was a good good battle. Um, so, But we started off on this mission with with three or four of us, right? And there were three of us who could show up every week. It wasn't always the same three. Mm-hmm. There were five people in the party. One person could only come very seldom, right? There was always three. Sometimes there was a fourth. And about every week, someone died. Um, and by the time that we got to, like, it was, you know, you would go out into the dungeon or whatever to do what we're going to do. A couple of people die. We head back to town to recruit new members. We go back to the dungeon to finish the mission. A couple of people die. We come back to town to recruit more to, to go further. And the third or fourth time that we went back to the dungeon, we realized there's literally nobody in this party who has actually been given the original mission. Um, so that's funny. And, you know, uh, just looking at it compared to our games, like that's, I think that's a good example of how, like, you know, I don't know, we'll discuss whether games need to have victory conditions, first of all, but Dungeons and Dragons functions well as like a system of games because you define your own victory conditions yes. and your victory condition in a group like that is very different than like the the games that we run now. And it's funny just looking at the comparison because the types of games that we run now couldn't, we couldn't play them and we can't like we struggle to get together and play when we're missing players because we put more, more importance on sort of building out this, this, this group narrative and, and party narrative around the players, which makes it hard to just cycle somebody else in and out where a game like that, where, you know, the, the core gameplay loop is more combat focused, more, yep. you know, you're playing it like you're playing chess yeah. rather than playing it like you're playing a, a, a narrative shared storytelling game. Right. Allows and, and, you to do that. And and both are perfectly valid. As I say, like it was a ton of fun. We got together oh, every yeah. week. We had lots of laughs. You know, people died. We rolled some dice, you know, and the games that we play are tons of fun because we just sit and talk i mean we've had sessions where nobody ever rolled any dice you know three and a half hours go by nobody has rolled any dice and everybody had a good time both are perfectly acceptable Mm. this is this is and this brings me to another point too like discussing whether a game is good well it really depends on your point of view oh it absolutely does um and I mean, it would also, you know, that holds true for something uh, being bad, but I don't know. I can think of some interesting things. Uh, and again, it really depends on how you define game. Yes. So tic-tac-toe, like let's go way back, right? I mean, there's been variations of that game through cultures and, Dots you know, and since crosses. time immemorial, right? The tic-tac-toe that we know, though, horrible fucking game. Um, like once you gain any level of proficiency in it, it's not a game anymore. Would you like to play a game? How about global thermonuclear war? Yeah. You know, like once you know (laughs) the basics of like how not to lose, nobody ever wins anymore. It's everything's just a, you know, every single play, like there's only so many potential combinations and that's why it's so limiting. So maybe it's a game for children and, and the, the, the victory condition as can you get to the point where you understand that, you know, you can make this a draw every, every time. I think that it, it makes more sense as, um, as a, as sort of an entry level instructional game for tactics, 
right? Because it teaches you to look ahead to what is my opponent going to do if I do this, right? Mm -hmm. And it becomes like, because I remember as a kid learning to play tic-tac-toe and being absolutely flabbergasted at how easily I was beaten, right? And it didn't take very long to go, okay, so I saw that happen. So if I do this, he'll do that. So then, and then he wins the next move, right? So now you're looking two moves ahead. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's an interesting point because it becomes then like is it actually a game or is it like a proto game is it like stage one in the instruction of how to play games i mean you could twist the definition of a game to to go either way on that one well yeah i mean because if you like, think I'm, like i'm you... usually more loose with it right like i think of you know i mean you know i had kids they were young they'd go outside and make shit up like i you know i would say they're playing a game if they're not doing something that is very obviously not a game it's probably a game yeah sure you know, climbing a tree probably not a game running and, around unless... playing tag or inventing rules to miscellaneous ways to throw Calvin a ball, ball or whatever like yeah i mean it's all a game often it doesn't have a a, a victory condition they're just they're doing something but you know creating rules for how to do it Yep. Let's throw this ball back and forth, but you know, we can't can't use our, our dominant hands, you know, or we gotta try and catch it with our teeth. Like whatever. <laughs> it's a terrible game. It's a, it's a game. Uh and it scratches an itch for them, right? Like yeah. so it's a good game for them. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. <laughs> I mean I would I would stretch the definition basically to anything that has a, a set of arbitrary rules. Okay, right. so let's examine a couple of games then. Uh, and I'll, I'll start with some video games just because they're pretty low-hanging fruit. Probably what I would argue is the most influential, probably most important video game of all time. And I was into it with, well, I don't know if I'd define it as a good game myself. Tetris. Oh, man. I mean, like, in terms of its is... impact, it, it spawned. Oh yeah, uh, like an entire industry that to this day has been influenced. Like those those small sort of puzzle games, gems, bejeweled, all of those match three all games. The match are... three games, which is you know, yeah. seven billion of them <laughs> that are all. Oh, you mean you mean the same? The ad serving, um, colorful marketing gimmicks. Are those games? I don't know. Women and 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 like women with big boobs in the ads, and then like it's oh, a match yeah. three game. Yeah, I love those. Or like, there's one that yeah. pops up because I'm playing uh, the Microsoft Solitaire Collection is something that I waste a lot of time <laughs> with. Um, and I mean, I haven't signed up for an account. I don't buy things or what. It's just like uh, click some cards and ooh, level up, yay! Um, but there's always an ad that comes. It's like some some. Uh, like Caribbean adventures or something. And it starts off with a guy pushing a lady out of a plane. And it's like, Oh, it's going to be this big narrative thing. And she's building a, a, you know, a cabin by chopping down trees. And it's like, no, it's a match three game. Yeah. It looks like just... it's going to turn into like a zombie survival game at some point or then, something no, match three. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anything I'd, I'd yeah. settle for anything. The whole industry is like crazy sort of, they've got to be making money though well they are and and the fact that you know like some of the truth in advertising rules 
that would apply to other products specifically don't apply to these games, like in, in yes. sort of most major Western countries, which allows them to get away with that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I don't know what the monetization model is. Like, because I actually don't play any of those games. Tanya plays some. I you know, most of her stuff are some of the bigger sort of like she was the Candy Crush and then like Bubble Witch and a lot of the 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 uh, match three ones that were a little bit more honest about what they were. But yeah. um a lot of like them, if I they're just trying have... to sell information, for instance, right? Like oh, if it's just them, about yeah. selling information, like it doesn't matter if you're upset when you play the game, right? They've got the information. Yeah. You know? So and I, think, I imagine it's like a like a conversion rate thing. Like if one in a thousand people stick, like they're probably making money. I think there's probably two streams because the first thing would be like we have your email address. Now we can sell that to, you know, Big Daddy Bezos if he doesn't have it already. Um, but the second thing is like a lot of them have that, you know, you can play three times and you got to wait 24 hours or you can buy extra plays. Yeah. And I think it, it keys into the same thing that casinos do, right? Oh, Where, absolutely. And a lot of, and that's one of the things I wanted to bring up because like I'm playing Diablo three and it literally at this point, cause I'm playing season 28 and like I've, I've finished, I don't know the parts of it that I'm really interested in. I'm done. Like I finished the season journey. I haven't filled up the thing. I've got the pet, I've got the pennant, I've, I've done all this stuff. And at this point now it's just like, punching things until they drop loot and hoping they drop the loot that's slightly better than the loot that I have now so that I can punch more things for more loot. But here's the funny thing. Minus what little narrative there was, you just described all of Diablo 2. Yeah. And I think most yep. of us would agree that of the Diablos to this point, Diablo 2 is the best of them. I would disagree only because Diablo 3 cuz I started I I actually bought Diablo 3 on launch day for the real money marketplace thinking woohoo I'm going to get rich um and I I mean I didn't I I think my account was closed with a dollar in it um yeah. and it it topped out I think at $3 um but like it's not even the same game anymore so whatever that was has mm -hmm. changed so much like, I don't even think, like, if you went to play it now, you wouldn't even recognize it. No, probably not. And, like, to be fair, I, I might have spent four hours in it before the they shut down the Real Money Auction House. Mm. And maybe, like, half an hour uh, afterwards. And I bounced off it both times. And, and a lot of it was just... I was bored. You know, the, yeah. there wasn't enough, like upfront narrative and maybe it changes you know once you get past a certain threshold in the game i wasn't i wasn't being dragged along through the the boring mechanics the the repetitive click 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 loop pinata stuff by something else at least enough to 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 hook me right sure i think like it depends too it dep like again scratching an itch for me the itch is is i just i want to see what's next i want to see how fast can I do this? How far can I push? Because there's there's not just a storyline um, mm -hmm. game mode now. Like there's this, you can do bounties and you buy things and you craft stuff and whatever. Like it's the same it's the same old old stuff that that has happened in every game ever. Mm -hmm. um, but like there's just there's just enough of it. And for me, it it is very much that um, that slot machine. Pull the handle and see what comes up. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I had a friend that I played. Remember Command and Conquer? Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a friend that I played that with, and I mean, he was very good at the game, but uh, he got so bored with it that his his literally his only thing was to survive to find crates. That was it. That's all he cared about. Um, and all of the stuff, and it was, I mean, it was kind of embarrassing because he would just steamroll me every time. Mm-hmm. And it was literally just, I need to have enough power, enough units, and enough things to have scouts out so that when a crate pops up, I get it. I don't care about winning the game. I'm only, I'm only uh, fighting hard enough that I can keep looking for crates. Right, and that was the itch that it scratched for him. Like I was, I was, I don't know, trying to be tactical or whatever, and it would never worked out. Yeah, and I think that's part of my problem now as a gamer is that like I don't want to say I've outgrown because that's probably not the right word. Uh-huh. But those games whose main hook is that sort of collectathon kind of, you know, like the objective is to hundred percent this game. You know, like yeah. I never got into like Pokemon and stuff. I was way too old. You know, my kids got into that, but those style games where, you know, you got to catch them all. You got to, even when they started introducing that kind of stuff into the games that I was playing, like world of Warcraft with the achievement system. And and then later like battle pets and, and mounts and stuff like that. Like I, none of that ever really swayed me to engage with those parts of the, the game and even less. So now like, there's, you know what, the I, I guess the the pets because I played WoW for a very little bit and I kind of enjoyed the pet battles, um, and I find like I find this with a lot of games like that and Dungeons and Dragons is very much like this where, sort of level one is super boring like you're punching rats who cares move on, mm-hmm. um, sort of there's a sweet spot like depending on what what the level range is in the game and in like World of Warcraft and. Uh, everquest for me it was somewhere in the middle like between mm-hmm. level because everquest originally went up to 50 right and sort of level 30 to 45 was a lot of fun and then 45 to 50 was just a slog um and i find the same same thing with um uh with dungeons and dragons honestly is that high level play is fun but a lot of a lot of uh, there's a lot more sort of meat to the fun for me between sort of level level five and level twelve or so. Like yeah, level twelve that's is a sweet spot. Yeah. Well, they didn't do a lot of play testing past level twelve. Like they just didn't yeah. have time. And you know, uh, hey, I think there's you know, they they understood how games work, right? Like it's very rare to like have you. Let me ask the question. Have you ever played a Dungeons and Dragons campaign where you did, whether you were doing XP-based leveling or milestone leveling, where you actually leveled above 15 no. before the campaign was done? No. I've started most, I've I've started at 12 and, and gone past that, but I've never yeah. started at 1 and gone past that. Yeah, and most, most people I know that have played the high-level stuff, like it's either been extremely short mini campaigns or one shots, or they started at level 12 or 15 or something like that. And it, it can be done, but it's, it's like from the DMS point of view, it's a lot harder to balance. You have to do a lot more stuff on the fly. Um, the whole sort of aesthetic or, or the, the gestalt, if you will, of the game just gets bigger, right? Like imagine it, it's like going from sort of, you know, uh, 
to use hockey as an example, right? You you start off at, you know, your local sort of pond hockey level and then you go to, you know, sort of uh, junior A and then you go to triple A and now you're in the like sort of 12 to 12 to 15 level where people might have heard of you. You, you, you know, uh, I don't know why I'm using hockey. I know nothing about hockey. Um, but you get to that sort of like uh, you, people around who are into the scene know about you, right? That's that sort of level level twelve to fifteen, and then suddenly you're in the NHL, and the whole world knows about you. Maybe you go to the Olympics, right? Like it's you're world famous, and imagine trying like that's that's the challenge to DMing that is like everybody knows you. Like you're not skulking around the 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 yep. alleys anymore. You have to keep track of stuff because people are going to need to, like you're going to need NPCs to go up to people and go, oh my god, I recognize you. Use those adventurers who are on the posters, and you know in the thing, and people yeah. have made paintings of you, and you're, you like there's a tapestry uh, of your exploits hanging in the castle, right? That becomes difficult to keep track of. Yeah, and um, I mean notoriety is one way to look at it. Just, you know, creating any sense of challenge is another. Yeah. Where, you know, uh, unless you're just, you know, bullet sponging everything or whatever, like, you're talking about people that are basically gods. Very close to. Would we talk about David and Goliath the way we talk about it now if we were looking at it from the perspective of Goliath and Goliath 1? No, nobody Mm. would care about that, right? Like, part of what makes the game when you're going along the hero's journey is that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're punching up, you're, you're you're being heroic. You're, and it's really hard to create that vibe for a party at high levels in D and D like you do. It's just bigger, badder guys, but like you've got so much in your toolkit to deal with almost any situation. Like the only way you could realistically create challenges just by start saying no as, as a DM, you know, and that's not fun. <laughs> no, and that's that's the thing. And that's what I'm saying is that the scope of your adventures has to go beyond yeah. we punch the bad guy, right? It now has to be, well, yeah, you can't punch the bad guy. You have to convince the world somehow that the bad guy is the bad guy. Only the only things that they see are all of the good things he's done, even though he's done it by, I don't know, sacrificing 10,000 people on a pyramid and dripping the blood into a sacrificial bowl. But nobody's seen that. You've seen that. You know that. But you somehow have to now convince the world of that. But you're not allowed to punch him. Because if you punch him, now you're the bad guy. Right? It becomes political intrigue and a whole lot more like role play type stuff. Or, Mm -hmm. as you say, you just need a bigger rat with wings and it has to breathe fire. Yeah. But even then, man, like, you know, fuck. anything higher than a level, like 14 wizard. And it's like, yeah, I got something for that. I got an app for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I cast time stop and then disintegrate and then, um, abolish. And then, um, yeah. Like the space that the dragon is inhabiting has ceased to exist and it hasn't existed for the last thousand years. (laughs) <laughs> dragon is an egg squish yeah uh well we're pushing it a table talk but i actually want to go back and, and and talk about what makes a good game good before we take the full leap into table talk because i think that's going to be a big part of the show i have some questions for you Uh oh okay so 
Let's talk about board games. Have you ever enjoyed Monopoly? Um, when I was very young, same thing as, as tic-tac-toe, when I didn't realize that the entire point of the game is to teach you that this is bad for the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, not really. So would you I call mean, there's Monopoly a, tr- a, a game and be a good game? It is a it is a game. It has a set of arbitrary rules. You roll dice. There is a winning condition. I would not call it a good game, no. I would call it an excellent teaching tool, which is what it was originally intended to be. Um, but it's not a good game, no. All of that sort of Parker Brothers, uh, Milton Bradley, sort of mid-80s to mid-90s, or I guess like 70s to 90s, really, that whole 20-year stretch. You know, sorry. Uh, Mousetrap was an interesting game just because it had a, sort of a neat twist on the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of them were just like roll dice and move around. The Game of Life is one that actually, because we have uh, we have a fair number of board games. We've bought uh, a bunch of the sort of newer generation of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cindy really likes The Game of Life, and I absolutely loathe it. Yeah. Um, it, it has been abolished from our house. It is no longer allowed to exist in any place that we reside. So, you know, and we'll ignore the newer generations, sort of everything after the, the German board game renaissance of like the past 15, 20 years or so, and go back to those old school ones that we grew up with. Is there anything to you that stands out as actually being good? Whether it's, you know, trouble or sorry or, or, Nope, but I, I I have to absolutely throw in uh, a plug for the Canadian Trivial Pursuit. Um, I love Trivial Pursuit. Uh, it scratches an itch for me where I get to show off all of the stupid things that I know that are trivial mm-hmm. and mean nothing and have no advantage to knowing. Um, and the the fact that the pieces are not called pie, even though everyone calls them pie, um, I thought that was a good game because it was. It was just like here's a here's a bunch of stuff, and it was, in addition to being, uh, neat for a a sort of a niche group of people. Honestly, like it, it's like this mm-hmm. is nerd heaven, right? Like I know yeah. a bunch of stuff about stuff that's not useful, but I get this is I hey I'm winning, woohoo! I am a trivia god. Um, so have you one? just sort of speaking about ultimate sort of nerddom? <laughs> have you ever? gotten into like a real disagreement with other nerds arguing about how trivial pursuit was wrong and you could prove it (laughs) yes yes and i have actually there are a couple of cards well some of it is is that and there's an interesting here's a bit of trivia for you did you know that of the general body of knowledge of things right now that we accept to be true within the next 50 years 50 percent of it will be proven incorrect not necessarily wrong, but not a hundred percent right, right? And it's one of those those funny things. Like, um, and I get I get a lot of this from uh, from a British panel show called QI, which you have if you have it stands for quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Which if you haven't watched it, go watch it right now. The first few seasons are hosted by Stephen Fry, mm-hmm. and it is absolutely hilarious. The the it is a, a I mean it's a game show, uh, but you do not get points for getting the right answer. Sometimes you lose points for getting the right answer. You get points for being interesting. And some of the questions are just like ridiculous. 
Um, and it, I mean, it's just basically an excuse for like five comedians to sit around and tell jokes. But there's some interesting sort of information that comes out of it as well. And that was that was sort of one of them. It's just that as time goes on, we discover that things that we thought were true turn out to not be true. And some of the because I mean, what was it, 1978 or 1982 or something? They invented Trivial Pursuit. Some of the things that are in there as answers, we have since found out. No, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, but there have been. There's a few other trivia games that I've played where someone has said, "No, this is the answer that's on the card," and I'm like, "Yeah, but the card is wrong." And and yes, I have proven it, and I have I have I am I am a hundred percent is is my is my uh, my score for. If I say the card is wrong, I'm right. <laughs> so what percentage of games where that happened do you say continued afterwards and everybody still continued to have fun? Um probably <laughs> about 70%. It depends cuz most of the time it's Cindy and I playing and if I say the card is wrong, she's like, "Okay, let's go look it up." Right? She's she has a, a fair amount of respect for the absolute massive useless information that's stored in my brain. Um, typically, if I'm playing with uh, some open-minded and intelligent people, I, I will say, like, I think that's wrong. We should look it up. Um, if I'm playing with, you know, normies, I'll just go, oh, oh, is, is that what the answer is on the card? Okay, let's let's carry on. Uh, I've made the mistake a couple of times of saying, no, the card is wrong with those people and they don't appreciate it much. Did you enjoy all of the, there was a, a few of the games. I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but the, the, the basic gameplay loop is just, you had to bullshit, you know, stuff like snake oil and whatnot. Balder later, but like Balder dash was the big one that I remember. Um, yes and no. It's one of those things like cards against humanity is fun. Mm-hmm. Once one time. Um, there was a sort of a PG rated uh, game called Apples to Apples that was similar to that. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, that one I think actually has a little bit more replayability because Sorry, almost spilling my drink there. Look like yeah, I don't do that. Um, just because, like, once you've once because the joke is that the answers are shocking, right? Mm-hmm. And once you've once you've heard them all, it's like, well, it's not not shocking anymore. Right? There's only so many times that you can answer a question within my bum before it's just like, well, I know the answer to this one is going to be in my bum, right? Yeah. Um, but, but to go back, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, bums are always funny. Um, to, to go back to the original question about uh, you know the original generation of games, I enjoy Scrabble still. Yes. Right? Anything where the... Uh, and this this goes back to too the 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 simplicity of the rules, right? Like there's not a bunch of cards. You don't have to build a deck. You don't have to do fancy stuff. It's like pick some letters, make a word. The bigger the word you get, the higher your score. If you're a smarty pants, you're likely to win. For the record, I think I have beat Cindy at Scrabble once, and it's because she had a headache. Yeah, I don't know. Scrabble is one of those games where it's the right balance of like being good will take you places. Right. Yep. But you also have to be lucky. Yeah. And sometimes the frustration of, of just not being lucky. Quicksold Plex really is a word. I don't care that it's got four X's in it. Yep. <laughs> I've 
had the ability to play a triple double twice in it. I managed to get it on the board once and I was one turn short of getting it on the board again and had the the spot I needed taken on on the player's turn before me. And I I had a chance. Devastated. Oh, it's awful, isn't it? I had Quixotic on on my like on my rack of letters and I was not able to play it. I forget what the score of it because it was on a triple word score. And it was like I mean it's the Q and the X and the C, mm-hmm. you know, and it's all of my letters. Man. It was a it, it, uh one of the reasons that Cindy always beats me is that she's able to spot the places where the most points can be scored and block them. <laughs> she's a very clever lady. I'm, and, and I would say that she's better than me with words, yeah. uh, specifically word games for sure. Uh, but like it would be an even contest if she wasn't downright nasty with placement on a Scrabble board. And that's... So... <laughs> My sister's actually pretty cutthroat, you know, in a lot of ways too, when she plays. Would you say that crazy's just uh, crazy? Cindy is just crazy cutthroat in general, or do you think it's because she knows you so well and sees that you're setting something up and she ah. recognizes like you specifically? And it's, it's like, it's, oh, oh, I, I see what you're doing there. Fuck no. Um, a little, a little from column two, probably more from column two than from column, column eight. Okay. Cause she's usually, she's usually pretty like, uh, fairly competitive on most things, but when she, cause it's you know, like she and I playing Scrabble against each other. Right. And she's, she's just out to kneecap me the whole time, <laughs> you know, and fair enough. Cause we, I mean, we play, oh man, we play with some friends about like, uh, games where it's and we're talking about like modern type stuff now where where the sort of goal of the game is to be clever about your answers for stuff right and most of the time when i haven't had a couple of beers i'm i'm i wouldn't say that i'm super smart but i'm reasonably quick with stuff mm-hmm. right and everybody like oh my god oh my god so when the chance comes that she can you know sort of cut my legs out from under me she's just all over it just all that's over it. that's her victory condition. She doesn't care about the yep. score at the end of it. It's just, yep, yeah. <laughs> How can I take want... this ego and just yep. bring it down thirty-seven notches. notches? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I love it, Cindy. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So we didn't actually come up with an answer to the question, which is, uh, you know, what makes a game good. Um, Beyond the initial sort of scratching of an itch. I I have, I I think I have a simple definition that works. A game is good if you have fun playing it. There you go. I'm 14 and this is deep. So your buddy playing Command and Conquer just for the crates, do you think he was having fun playing it? Oh, he was having a blast. Okay. He he had the most fun ever if you were running for a crate and he was able to like pull a ghost out of stealth and grab the crate. Like that was that made his day. Yeah. Cuz I've found 
like, and, and I found myself falling victim to this often. You just get so far down the rabbit hole of a game that like it stops being fun and you're not having fun and you know, you're not having fun, but you just can't turn it off. I have to finish. I have to finish just one more pull of that lever. Maybe this time it'll come up three bars. Yeah. You know, and, and, and sometimes like the Skinner box style games, at least you're getting that sort of little bit of, you know, dopamine hit just, mm, mm. there's some games where you just don't get that hit. It's just like waterboarding yourself (laughs) (laughs) after a while. And I still take way too long to bounce off of them. Hey, whatever, whatever, whatever floats your boat, man, I'm not going to kink shame. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get into table talk. So we haven't uh, managed to squeeze a session in with our group. Has your group been playing? No. I mean, summer's here. People are busy doing other stuff. Um, there's, there's a little bit of, and one of our, I mean, this is so funny to think about. One of our, one of our players is a retired, he just retired last year, the year before. Um, you know, and he's got like, you know, kids and grandkids and they come up to visit for the summer. So yeah, we're just, you know, and I'm, I joined the local golf club. And so now I'm playing in like tournaments and match play events and all kinds of stuff. So we're just like, it's the same, same old thing, man. We're all grown ups and we all got stuff to do. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so I've had a couple sessions with my group and the session, uh, two Tuesdays ago now, this is a kudos to my players. I don't think any of them will ever listen to these shows, but it was one of those sessions and I'm sure you've had them as, as dungeon master where it's like, I've had no time to prep. You know, like we're at a spot where like we're supposed to be kicking something else off or whatever, you know, and uh, you need to do it right. You need to have you know, a few different possibilities prep for depending on how your players. Uh, Dude, I did go. two years like, of, of um, Ravenloft like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I got nothing. Right. Well, at least with that, you had like existing material on maps yeah. you can lean on. I had nothing ready. And like, I mean, I could have if they decided to to go and do something. I could have figured something out. Like I could improv it, but it wouldn't have been as fun as what actually happened. And uh, I kind of nudged them in the direction a little bit, but I don't want to take any credit for what happened because like they ran with it. Uh, We'd left off the previous session after uh, like a battle with some undead. Uh, uh, They were meeting up with some centaurs. Uh, the centaurs were going to help them with something else sort of in a main main quest line. And the session had finished up afterwards where they were just on their way back to the centaur village. So the little nudge I gave them was the centaurs calling for some celebration, right? They were going to put on a party, big feast. And my players ran with it. Like we had an opportunity to explore a few different sort of personal things because like they had time to stop and think about some major developments that had happened as characters And they chose to explore some of that. But for the most part, what was really great is they just chose to have fun. So we actually role played out a party, music, sort of festivities, uh, the one character, the bard, um, who's more like less of a, they're a musician, but like sort of their, 
I think I've mentioned them before. Like their 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 character backstory is, they worked in a in a like a brothel at one point in their life, and and sort of mixture of music and exotic dance and being an escort and yada yada yada. Anyway, started dancing to sort of uh, put on a show for uh, for the centaurs that are there, just kind of having a good time vibes. I had my one character who's the barbarian, you know, super gruff, serious guy, um, get into some centaur, like hooch, like bathtub kind of moonshine. <laughs> and like, we're normally, you know, as, as a, like a, a half work barbarian, like, you know, this is nothing for him. Right. I had him roll and he rolled badly, uh, on some constitution, uh, shit. And this stuff hit him like a truck and he started joining in doing the stuff that his character would normally never do. And it very quickly turned into like a dance off, like, like <laughs> devil went Guardians down to Georgia the at the crossroads kind of dance off between this character. Who's just sort of like a big oafish sort of brutish dude. You know, I got a big ax <laughs> and I like to smash things with, and this bard who has dedicated their entire life to <laughs> dancing and performance. And the bard rolled reasonably well at times. Uh, the barbarian rolled better. Like, I think there <laughs> were three nat 20s in there. And the way the session, uh, well, not the session, but the celebration ended, at, this barbarian had, like, they were, it turned into, like, tango and then, like, centaur salsa. And then <laughs> <laughs> eventually uh, the barbarian was doing, like, Irish, like, river dance style shit. And he'd had the, the barbarian picked him up was spinning him around like a propeller on top of his head. Uh, you know, I moved away from just the, the performance checks into like athletics checks as they were trying to outdo each other or whatever. It was so perfect. And like 100% driven by my players and what they were doing. It was fantastic. That went on for two and a half hours. Oh my. So I got to spend the the like half hour at the end of the session just kind of setting up like where we were going next so that I had time to prepare before the next session. It was great. And it was one of those, uh, you know, like we're playing using Foundry, right? You know, I'm, I try not to have maps for everything. I want to do some theater of the mind stuff, but I didn't even have like mood setting imagery. It was just a like a gray screen you know, just a play mat style thing. And the tokens were up just for the purpose of having them something easy to interact and roll with. But everything was purely theater of the mind and it was fantastic. It can be. So I love when, you players. If you ever hear this, you, when uh, it works, yeah. those are the very best. Um, when it doesn't work, they can be bad. <laughs> yes. They can be. And this is one time where it just worked and they all got into it. I've got a good mix of players. Like I'm spoiled because they're diverse players, but diverse characters as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, in contrast to our game where it's like, we've got three kind of super serious characters in their own way. Um, none of these people are super serious except the barbarian, but he's lightened up now because he's got some weird character shit going on and everybody else is weird in their own way. And it just, it's a greater than the sum of its parts sort of weirdness and, and dynamic. 
I watched uh, a thing today that was sort of interesting, and it was it was there's a guy I've I've mentioned before called Sk- Seth Skorkowski. Yes. Um. Yeah, I've sent you a couple of of links to his things. He he put out a thing that was like sort of how to how to be a good player or whatever. And there's some stuff that you should avoid as a player. One of the things though that he brought up that I I found kind of interesting because it has been a problem in almost every game I've been involved in is. Like the players really should sit down and talk session zero, pre-session zero or whatever about like, who are we and why are we together? Right. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily like it depends. Sometimes like sort of session one is how the players meet and like how they get set off on whatever quest they're on. But a lot of the times, right. Like the reason that our, our, our characters are together is because we as the players are getting together once a week to play a game. Mm hmm. Right, and it doesn't, and in some st- in some situations, like for the the you know party of three, sometimes four, occasionally five, with often changing party members, it doesn't really matter. Why are we together? Because we're yeah. all questing for money. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing something that's story driven, um, like for example, uh, almost everywhere except except for Dulcimer, and I think I might have ruined this. Um, Tanya has sort of had. A character who, well, I guess Godric was like was wasn't like this either. But uh, like, there's has been sort of like, why why are you following us around? Mm-hmm. You know, like I enjoy having you here, and I I enjoy Tanya as a player. She's a lot of fun to play with. I don't understand why her character is with the group. Yeah, you know, and like that, and that's that that has been my experience at every table I've ever sat down at. And you know, in retrospect, and to some of my previous DMs, I'm sorry. Sometimes that player was me, right? Yeah, and it's it's funny, you know. And it, it, I mean, I don't want to yuck anybody's yum. Nope. Like you know, I look at Tanya's character of Dulcimer, and like she was a new player. Yep. So you know, Dulcimer fit in with the group really well. Though. He did. Yeah. Like you wonder why the character's there, but like that was also a big part of the life of the group, so it worked. Even if like when you're looking at and thinking, why are you here? Like, it's because you're, 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 you're sort of looking at it like at a distance, right? Like you're, you're looking at it analytically, like in the moment, it never felt that way aside from just the sort of inherent confrontational sort of. With with Dulcimer, I never, I never, I never questioned Dulcimer's involvement in the group. Dulcimer was there because. Dulcimer was amused by all of the other. Yeah, characters. some of the other characters, Sora and Shade, certainly felt that way. And I think it was partially a dis- like you know, Dulcimer was her first love, and she yeah. wasn't over Dulcimer. I think until she rolled Godric, you know. Yeah, um, and I so felt I think bad, that... but at the same time, Dulcimer's oh, no. fall fit the things, story perfectly. Things had to happen exactly how they happened. But you know, there's another thing, and um, like even good players and experienced players sort of fall into this. Uh, like with my game, I, I tried to have a session zero. It's like, here's the world so that you can kind of build characters that sort of fit into it. And this is the basic setup for why the party's going to get there. Shane, and like I'm you sorry. and Cindy, no, 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 it's <laughs> fine. Right. But like I do that in having been through the games that you were running where we had, you know, because we like our session zero, we didn't really have one. It was just Not sort of really. we started playing. You knew it was going to be Strahd, whatever your party. So like we lucked into our original group vibes being kind of the way they were. And then after some characters got changed out, we never, 
we never found that magic formula again. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk to these players because like some of the characters, like, you know, uh, I'm not picking on anybody. So, so anybody listening to this, you know, don't, don't take any of this personally, but I look at like Cindy's character, the, uh, what was her name? The, the one we made fun of her name. Yeah. Uh, Kea, Kea, yeah, Kea, yeah. You know, we're like <laughs> an interesting character, like a great character for a one shot, or a yep. great character if it starts out that way and develops, right? Like goes through yep. an arc where it's like, but it was, it was a lot of time of, it's like watching the kid play soccer, picking flowers and dandelions in the middle of the mm-hmm. field, sitting down while the game's going on around them, yeah. and the character never got an opportunity to grow out of that. And as long as Cindy was having fun with it, it's fine. Right. But that was one of those characters where I'm like, okay, but what, what's the character's motivation? Why are they here? Why, why do they put one foot in front of the other? What do they hope tomorrow brings? And as a person playing with that player, like alongside, I did, I couldn't even think of any answers to that question, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I wanted, when I ran the session zero, when I took over the group, I'm like, we're going to talk about the world. I'm going to do this setup. I'm going to kind of paint a picture so that you guys can all create characters that sort of fit in it and can play off each other so that you guys kind of got a reason to do what you do. And it's like, nope, we're, we're space cat pirates. We've already decided. Oh man. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. And it's, it's fun, but you know, even, even when you try to avoid those pitfalls, sometimes they just happen oh, you just, and you got to roll with it. They happen, especially as, and especially happens when you have like a character concept in mind, right? Yeah. It's like, this is, and hey, this is some, a character I want to play. That's, and, and that's where some people find their enjoyment. So I'm not going to yuck anybody's job and be like, no, space pirate cats do not fit in my game. Roll another one. Like whatever. Yeah. I mean, you could you know, have. They, they. I could have, but then that would have been less fun, probably. And and there's the Maybe risk. So. Of, dude, you're just being a dick. I don't want any of that. <laughs> and we'll try and make it work. And and to a certain extent, it's it's worked and it hasn't worked. And we just haven't played enough sessions, uh, to really to to find our footing with that particular mix of characters you know we've got three straight men and and one person that is sort of the square peg in the round hole and it just you know what though i like and this is and this is again to to come around to like i really find that and it's a it's a weird thing because everyone especially the first time they play dungeons and dragons wants to play you know, I'm I'm the mysterious stranger who hangs out in the corner and doesn't have any friends. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm and Batman. Yeah, and that's that's fun for three sessions, and then you're like, okay, I've it's, done everything now. It's <laughs> now fantastic. We'll it's fantastic for a one shot. Yes. It's fantastic if you subvert it. Like if you've ever watched, they did. Um, uh, Critical Role did a one shot live. I think it was their first one where the final boss was a rubber ducky. I don't think I've watched that one. Uh, and, and Talison Jaffe played basically Batman, right? Yeah. Like I'm Batman, right? Like that was his character, except it was, it, he subverted it perfectly in that everything he did was um, as goofy as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. He's like, like the, the one thing that sticks out in my mind is like, I stealth against the wall. It's like you do realize that you're in an open pit, right? You're literally just like plastered against it, and everybody can see you. He's like, perfect. 
because that's exactly what his character would do, right? He's, I'm all edge lordy, except as an edge lord, you you like um, I don't know, like musical theater, and and you you wear colorful clothes, right? Yeah, you know, like you're you're a really really bad at being an edge lord. That but when you're work. doing it intentionally, ironically, that's great. Still that's probably fun. a short shelf life, but yes, but great. And that's yeah, you know, going back to you saying it's something that every, especially new players do. Oh, especially the uh, one guy in my Tuesday game, Chris, his barbarian character that was doing river dance and, and twirling this guy above his head started off as the the, the Geralt of Rivia kind of brutish type, yep. and he was great because he, as a player, said like. I think I've made a mistake or painted myself into a corner. I'm like, well, we have ways we can work around this. We'd set up this. I think I told you about it before. Where like he, he died and 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 through resurrection, like it was oh, like yeah, a competition was, like, for souls crafted. for the body, and you know something else yeah. just kind of got in and have let him sort of decide how he wants to play that out. So now he's got this other guy that's a little bit more charismatic inside him and gets to take control sometimes, but it's also allowed him to just sort of redefine his character in a, in a way, you Mm know, and it's created some interesting, like we've had him dressed in drag kind of slipping into parties (laughs) at one point we've had him do all sorts of things. You know, the first time he got to bust out magic is, is this big ax wielding barbarian was great too, you know? Yeah. That can be lots of fun. It's, I mean, it's an interesting place to start a character if it develops quickly enough to not become a drag. Yeah, and he was good enough to to like recognize, hey, I'm I'm starting to not have as much fun as I'd hoped with this character. Reach out to me and say, what can we do? And and you know, we kind of came up with something. Like he didn't want to just kill the character off because like enough interesting sort of stuff had built up around his character's backstory and you know, the way it sort of related to what's going on in the world. He didn't want to abandon that, mm-hmm. which, you know, not every game leads you to, to a way of, 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 you know, being able to solve that solution without just, okay, we'll kill the character off and, and, and roll a new one. And he kind of found a way to do it. So props to him for that. I mean, like there's, there's ways to do it. To, I mean, cause people change, right? Like, Oh yeah. We're not, we're not the people we were when we were 20. So yeah, you can the characters yeah. can change, but yeah, going back to our game, to... it's sorry, sorry. <laughs> I think we might have a little bit of lag between us. No, it's... um, uh, going back to to sort of like when we first started this game in your world, like when when Mary was introduced to the party, I was like, uh oh, like how do how do I interact with this person? Like, I don't, I don't know how to, and I think like Mary has come along to be like the perfect, the perfect foil to three pretty serious characters. Yes. Right. Cause I'm, I'm doing this whole, I want to save the world shtick. Right. Um, and Cindy is doing her like, you know, like I, I got to find all of the magic and find a way home and, you know, be part of the crew and all of this. And, of course, Chris is doing his, I just want to help people. Um, you know, like super serious, everything has to be about helping people. And then there's Mary who's like, I want to turn our inn into something from Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some layers with this character. I mean, just the way she normally plays characters naturally contrasts with everybody else. I think part of what this character was, and she probably will never admit to it, 
because uh, she's doing voices for the first time, which is fantastic, was just a like a fuck you, Shane, for old man Dex voice <laughs> for subjecting her to that for so long. She's just like, what voice could I make that? First of all, I don't really find it annoying, but like, I think that was the in, like the intended result was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna annoy Shane because like he did it to me. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> it's interesting. We saw a oh, this is a, a nifty because she's got that little little blorp thing that's riding around on her shoulder. Did did that come from a Lego cartoon? Because there's a Lego Dreams Warriors cartoon or something. And one of the characters has a little little one-eyed ooze that lives oh, on her no. shoulder. No, I, I, I mean, it's probably not an, a super original idea. It just kind of happened at the moment. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't really have any particular inspiration. I mean, I was kind of, you guys were fighting the oozes down there. And I was like, oh, I could do something that's kind of like Slimer from Ghostbusters or something, you know. Hmm, okay. Give it a mechanical benefit. But knowing the backstory of, of like being a... a like an animal smuggler slash obtainer for, for wealthy people. I was like, I want to find something interesting for that character where it's, you know, like have it not fall in love with a pet kind of thing, but, you know, like develop a, a personal interest in something rather than it being a commodity to be shipped from, you know, its right. habitat to somebody wealthy enough to pay them to do it or whatever. So just like, Oh yeah, there's a little slime. We'll see where it goes. And it's, By the way, it's it oozes poison because you're a rogue, so whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> it It fits. It's just like, wow, this is neat, different, weird. Yeah. And, and then I saw it somewhere else, and I'm like, well, oh. oh. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, uh, it's not a like a super original kind of idea, you know, especially with, with D&D and, and any RPG really were like oozes and things, slimes or, or like I, creatures. I mean, there's there's not a, a single original thing that, I mean, like every single idea that I've ever thrown out as a DM has been, hey, I read this in a book once or I saw this on TV. Let's do that. So have you, because uh, I've never run a game where it's happened, but I hear about it all the time. Have you ever run a game where like everything becomes a pet for, for the party? get one of those I, groups that just like they have a menagerie uh, or a zoo back at their I, base i have i have played with players who try and make friends with every animal they come across um but on the flip side i also i i was in a i can't remember if i was the dm for this one or if i was a player because it was a long time ago where um we carried a dead kobold around um as a trap detection so as we're as we're going through the dungeon, it's literally you come to a set of stairs. All right, we tumble the body of the kobold down the stairs to see if it sends uh, off any traps. We should have you done know. that with one or two pieces of meepo. <laughs> it was like every five feet. It's like we and we didn't we stopped saying it because it was just standard operating procedure. You're in a suspicious area. We toss the kobold five feet. We walk forward five feet, pick up the kobold, and toss the kobold. It's your new ten foot feet. pole kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a ten foot kobold. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty great. All right, so I did have a semi serious table talk topic that I wanted to get into. Okay, and I don't know if I've ever spoken about it you before but i'm rattling around an idea in my head and it's one where like my initial sort of reaction to thinking about it was oh no that's weird and i've now come around on it to where i'm actually thinking of taking it seriously 
And that is the idea of being a paid GM. Mm. Now, my normal reaction was kind of like that. Yeah. And I would never do it for a full game. But I've had like six or seven people come up to me just in the last year or so. Oh, you run games? How much do you charge? I'm like, what? That's so what do you mean weird. Charge? It is so weird. But, you know, it's a supply and demand thing. And there's so much interest in playing the game and not enough DMs to do it that there are people that are willing to do like pay for a GM. And obviously you got to deliver on it. I've been sort of watching this one website. It's something that got like, I don't know, capital backing. So, you know, it's, it's a very sort of Silicon Valley-ish startup kind of thing, but uh, start playing dot games is basically just a, a website for connecting players to DMS that are running games and, and charging for it almost like a brokerage, like handling the the transactional stuff. So you're not, you know, Venmoing some random dude that can just ghost you or whatever, like right. manages that portion kind of in the way an eBay would for an auction or something like that. And then otherwise it's just sort of a big directory where it provides players with the opportunity to sort of review and moderate and, you know, manage itself obviously would never be perfect. But the amount of traction that it got once I started looking into it, when I'm getting all these people asking me, hey, how much do you charge to run games? We've been looking for a DM or, or whatever. I'm like, I've kind of come around on it. Now, I don't think I would ever, ever want to, for a couple of reasons, like run a full campaign that way. One, it'd start to feel like a job pretty quickly, and that's not fun. Yes. And it doesn't pay well. No, no, it doesn't pay well. But you know what? Like people are paying on average $20, $25 per player per session, US, oh. of which the, the service takes 10% to handle the transaction fees and, and brokerage stuff. So it's not like you'd have to run a lot of games and turn it into like work a to job. make any kind of living. But if you wanted to make an extra couple hundred bucks a month, like that's kind of the angle that I'm coming at it. And what I'm thinking of doing, I'm, I'm going to thinking of really giving it a try, especially with our group kind of petering out here in the summer. I think we need to maybe have some conversations about like the day that we're playing. It's, it's tough when like the only day everybody could agree to is a Saturday and that's the day that everything always comes up, you know, and I don't like, you know, with Cindy and her stuff going on, this isn't a shot at that. Like Saturday is the day that all of us have things come up because that's, that's the day that people do shit, whether it's family stuff or whatever. So my problem is we kind of painted ourselves into that corner, not that, hey, I told you stuff had going to come up. So I don't yeah. know if we can, you know, maybe find a different day or something like that that would work. I think we'd get more traction. But if not, you know, whatever. Um, anyway, what I'm thinking about doing is prepping like a, enough material to run a like a four, five or six session kind of mini campaign. Run it recycle that material, you know, just when I have, Hey, I'm not going to have anything going on on Thursdays for a month or two, not have to do a lot of extra prep. Once it's all done, I've just kind of got this little canned homebrew shit. Try it out. Probably run a few free games first, just to, I'll probably even do it with some of my players, uh, mm -hmm. just to, to, to test the material out and maybe give it a shot. You know, I, yeah, I don't. You have, obviously like I, seem very against the idea, so let me throw no. it back to you as the why. Or you're put I'm not, off. I'm not. I'm not against it. I, like you're if visually put off. 
Yeah. And I was, I was only thinking about it from like sort of my perspective as a mm -hmm. DM. Like I always feel a lot of pressure to perform when I'm, when I'm DMing. Mm -hmm. um, and if I were doing it for money, then it's like, well, now the pressure is like redoubled because someone has actually put their hard earned money down for this. Um, I don't, I don't have any objections whatsoever to someone else doing it. Right. I mean, I wouldn't mm -hmm. ever, it, I feel about it the same way that I feel about prostitution. I, I would never do it and I would never pay for it, but I have no objections to someone else doing it or someone else paying for it. I think if you're going to do, if you're going to do that, give more power to you. Mm -hmm. um, I, and literally, you know, this is where it becomes the difference between the two is that the, the performance anxiety becomes more than it's worth. Yeah. And I, I think like, that's why I would absolutely steer clear of like trying to keep up with a full campaign. Because you're constantly having to to do the prep and 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 you know put down rails in front of a group wherever they're going and and you know in a longer campaign like very little of that is reusable, yeah. you know, maybe in concept but not you know. And I would definitely not want to make it feel like a job, but at the same time, I'd almost like to see if you get a different kind of player out of it. Like if you're paying twenty bucks for a session as a player, you're going to pay attention. Are you, yeah, like, are you going to be involved in a different way than, you know, even with our groups, like, you know, somebody's on their phone while they're playing. I mean, you just push to talk on Discord so I don't notice that stuff and I just kind of pretend it's not happening. But, you know, I know what's happening if I'm being honest with myself. The amount of times you have to repeat same information in a game because, you know, you just go through something and somebody asks a question about what you just, you know, clearly explained um, and it's like, oh, you're yeah. not paying attention at all. So I'm interested in seeing what kind of player, like, are they different or, you know, does paying just enable them to be a bit of a dick because they, you know, paid for it? I don't know what the answer to that question is. And that would be part of the experiment. I think it depends on the player. Yeah. To be, you know what, to be honest, I, I don't think I have ever looked at the phone, my phone during our sessions. I have occasionally looked up rules as other people are, are doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and my attention span is famously short. So, you know, like I'll be looking at something and go, Ooh, that's shiny. Mm -hmm. and well, it's like, and, oh, shit. and you know, I, I enjoy probably more like, you know, when it's not my turn, I'm enjoying yeah. the game more than when it is my turn, but yeah. that's not how every player operates. Like a lot of, a lot of players, it's like, you know, it's like nothing until it's their time to, to do something, whether it's their turn I... in combat or, or, you know. Whether they've do, got an idea to execute uh, out of combat or whatever, but I do. One of the things that frustrates me most about, and it's just human nature, right? Is people who aren't prepared when their time comes. Um, and I play like I mostly played with people who started playing D and D in the seventies. Um, you know, and back. Oh God, back in the dark ages, right? You'd, you'd roll one die and then you'd wait and then you'd roll the next die. And like, why can't you roll them both at once? Well, what if I miss? Well, whatever the roll damage at the same time, it's not a big deal. All right. When your turn comes, roll a bunch of dice. Oh, well, that's interesting. I'm still recording, but apparently Shane's power has gone out. So, uh, and hey. we're back. 
We're back. So, clearly it was a sign from the great Dog? dungeon master in the sky. I was oh. talking about paid DM work. Don't and, do it, man. <laughs> and I was struck down. Uh, so for those of you watching on YouTube, you'll notice that we're, we're changed. It's actually the next day for us. Uh, my power went out while we were recording yesterday. It was down for several hours. So we're back. Why Why do you not have like uh, 17 hours worth of uh, backup battery generators that you can just run everything for forever? Yeah, you know, I've actually never on my personal stuff ever run even like a, a proper UPS. I have a funny UPS story. Um, I, I have a UPS on my computer and uh, I was playing cyberpunk and it's got a little readout in the front that says how many hours you've got left. And the first time the power went out after I got it. Hello, Kevin. Hey, say hello to the people. <laughs> um, after the power went out the first, I was playing EverQuest and it's like, you have 17 hours of battery backup left. I, I, I overspect my battery backup just a little bit. Um, and I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like the power is out and my modem's on the UPS. And of course the phone line still works. So I have internet and I'm playing everyone. I'm like, hey guys, power's out. It's like, oh no, are you getting, I'm like, no, I got 17 hours of power left. Um, and then the next time the power went out, I was playing cyberpunk and it had 17 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously using a little bit more hardware. So, the question I would ask in the situation where you had 17 hours, did your like internet service provider dial-in node run out of power before you did? Um, I, the power was only out, I think, for like 20 minutes or something. Oh. But yeah, I have no idea. I, I get, it's, probably, it's probably not even an accurate number. It's just yeah. it, everything is barely ticking over, right? Well, you know, EverQuest runs on a toaster now. and There was actually somebody... Idling. Somebody actually did uh, install it somehow on a, on a uh, internet enabled fridge. <laughs> uh, yeah, doesn't take a whole lot of power. Sixty four bit now though. Very nice. I have run out of alcohol after your power went out. I drank everything in the house. <laughs> no, I still have lots. So I think uh, I'm not going to risk angering the gods and um, uh, discussing the the paid DM stuff anymore. So we might as well just get right into the pod bag. Let's do it. I think the cats have figured out that we're moving. You've got mail. All right. We're going to wrap up the show with uh, questions from the audience. Uh, first question, everyone everywhere. What is the greatest food ever invented, and why is it tacos? Well, I mean, it incorporates every food group. Uh, you've got uh, sugar, fat. Um, I mean, if you have a beer with your tacos, you have alcohol, and you also have the color orange. Yeah, this is this is Kevin. Say hello, Kevin. Hello, Kevin. And a big, like wad of fur drifting off in the background <laughs> oh yeah he sheds like nobody's business it's getting old now poor guy i uh, was watching uh episodes of forged in fire this morning i got up a little bit early and, and our dog lucy was like right on my chest and 
I don't know if it's the the summer heat. Like she's a short haired dog, a uh, plot hound, but she's shedding what little hair she has. And like, I looked like I had a fur coat on when I was done. <laughs> I normally get that with our cat, like our, our ginger orange cat. Like he's very, very sort of thick bunny fur almost. But uh, it's the first time I've walked away from her like that. Cat hair is a condiment in my house. Mm, a the taco condiment. Yeah. Well, sure. Uh, it's, you know what? It's interesting uh, that this question has come up. And it's it's quite a surprise to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we had uh, Cindy made. I mean, it was an attempt. We have. I don't know if I've told you before, but we have. Uh, oh, I forget a Lebanese restaurant. Um, my God, and I've forgotten the name of it. My brain does not work well at this time of night. Uh, but they 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 make. Um, they make these garlic potatoes and she's, you know, so she, tonight she was like, I'm going to see if I can make those. And they weren't, they weren't the same, but oh man, they were good. But the reason I bring it up is because we also were having pitas. It was supposed to be shawarma, um, but she accidentally bought the incorrect pitas. Mm. So they didn't split down the middle. So she kind of made like sandwich slash tacos out of them and they were delicious, but man, messy super messy delicious yeah we do like white people taco night on the regular mm-hmm. and like it's nothing nothing fancy nothing you know authentic tacos like taco beef cheese sour cream lettuce tomato tomatoes lettuce yep yeah tasty yeah I mean, I, I absolutely, when, when Cindy goes away and I have to cook for myself, I generally make a big pot of, I call it taco filling, but it's really just hamburger and rice. I'm sorry. Kevin desperately needs attention. Um, and then I just like put it in a burrito and that's lunch. And then I put it in a burrito and that's dinner. And then I put it in a burrito and put it in the fridge and that's breakfast. Yeah. I'm a big fan of like the taco salad next day. Yeah. We usually get like soft and hard tacos when we do taco night and I'll take whatever leftover hard tacos we have and just kind of break it up into chunks to kind of add some crunch to the Wait, salad the next day. Leftovers? What oh, are those? Dude. Well, usually it's just Tanya and I now, like our kids are out of the house, but I still make enough tacos as if we were feeding six people still. And uh, I, I cook like leftovers intentionally, right? Like I don't, I don't do lunch lunches. So when I'm working and I'm, I'm packing a lunch, it's leftovers from, you know, dinner mm-hmm. that weekend or whatever. Like I just cook giant ass steaks. Uh, it's actually the first real barbecue of the, the summer season for us today. I have and to buy a barbecue. When you were in town, did you ever get those? Um, they're just called barbecue steaks from Bibbs. They're like a, yep. a reasonably inexpensive, like mechanically tenderized. Yep. You know, Tanya likes a lean steak. Like I would like something with a little bit more marbling for flavor myself. But oh, do you remember really those rib steak, steaks? Oh, dude! <laughs> it's like okay, a we got We have to tell the story. Yeah, we do. It was the weekend I proposed to my wife. So we went camping up in Grundy Lake, right? It was Grundy Lake. So uh, there was me and and my partner and you and Cindy and and Brian. Yep. And 
I don't know who did the butcher run, but we basically, it was a good thing that somebody was driving a truck up there because we needed the space for the meat. Well, it was, it was what, like 2002, 2000, something like that. Maybe, maybe 2001. But imagine this, it was five steaks and it cost $120. Like it was, and I mean, at the time, like the beef was like, I don't know, a buck 99 a pound or something. Like it was ridiculous. The thing right I, over a campfire, we had to like oh. haul in this big ass rack just to have enough room <laughs> to spread this out. Like it was okay. It was forty pounds of meat. Like that sounds like I'm exaggerating, but like the wet weight of that meat had to be close to forty pounds. Oh, it was a lot. I do remember this. I remember the girls are like, "Well, we'll make mushrooms and we'll make potatoes and we'll make vegetables because we can't just eat steak." And I pointed at the barbecue. I'm like, "If you eat half of that steak, you don't have room for the vegetables." We ate vegetables for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> that was after the bear incident, though, right? Oh my God! Yes. Oh, the bear incident. Okay, so we 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 uh, this was before we were camping in hammocks. So we had an air mattress and we had one of those two way pumps. So uh, you know it's and we were sleeping on an air mattress that had a very very slow leak in it. So about three o'clock in the morning, I have to get up to pump up the mattress. But the people in the in the campsite next door had been really obnoxious all day. They were drunk. They were playing their music. They were, I mean, they were they were the the epitome of vapid teenagers. Yeah, I mean, they were having fun, and that's fine. But they just crossed the line into being a little bit of dicks about it. Yeah, they were a little bit obnoxious about it. Honestly, looking back on it, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. It was just fun to complain about. Um, but three o'clock in the morning, I get up to pump up my mattress and of course, like they're, you know, passed out drunk and I go, <laughs> oh my God, it's a bear. It's a bear. Turn on the flashlight. Turn on the music. You have to scare it away. It's a bear. Ah. But the funniest part of this is that later that night, there was a raccoon and a fox that had a fight over a rabbit right outside our tent. And that, if you've never heard of a, a fox and a raccoon fighting over a rabbit, those are the three noisiest animals that exist on the planet. The raccoon won and decided to sit down right there and eat the rabbit. Um, so, of course, me being, you know, Mr. Manly Man, I'm like, I'm going to scare the raccoon away. So I smacked the side of the tent thinking, oh, it'll just take its thing and go away. <laughs> but what it did was hunker down and go, Arr! <laughs> and i'm sitting there thinking okay so what weapons do i have to defend myself against an angry raccoon and what i've got is a flashlight and as soon as i brain the raccoon with a flashlight i'm now going to be in the dark with an angry <laughs> raccoon and i mean this raccoon was the size of a bear like it was really really anyway so the next morning uh the cam the campers from next door came over and oh my god did you hear last night there was a bear it was going through the the thing we saw its tracks so i pulled the pump out and i said did the bear sound like this <laughs> so just, i'm i must be misremembering the story because i thought you leaned into it for a while first and mentioned like the rabbit carcass and the oh i might have i don't know i just like I just some remember. of the mess from beside the tent 
I do remember pointing out the raccoon, tra- or she pointed out the raccoon tracks and said, see, it left tracks. And I'm like, lady, those are raccoon tracks. <laughs> like, they were this big. Yeah. And like, if that was a bear, like it was literally walking on tippy toe. <sighs> anyway, I mean, I grew up in the in the bush in northern Saskatchewan. Like when I was a kid, we used to chase bears up trees. I do mm. not recommend that. Don't do that. That's no. stupid. Um. But, you know, by and large, black bears, which are what we have here, are reasonably timid most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they eat vegetables more than anything else. Or, I mean, carrion if they can find it. But still, it was, oh my God, just the look on her face. And she just, she and, and her friends just wandered over to their campsite and packed up and went home. <laughs> it was a great weekend. Oh, uh, that, was, that was something. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got another question. Uh, you both have some pretty technical jobs, but what is, let me open it up so I can actually read it, but what is your favorite thing about your job that isn't technical? I mean, it's the people. I, I'm in a position right now where I'm very lucky that I work with a bunch of people that I really like, and they're awesome. Hmm. Well, it took me, you know, 30 years of, of working to find a job that didn't suck. So that, it's just people. Good people are good people. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could answer that the same way, but that's, that's no fun. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm going to say that like half the time, <laughs> now that I'm working from home, I don't have to wear pants. Like that's a big plus. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, you know what? I wear pants for this more often than I do at work. <laughs> just in case I get, get up to go do something. Um, but when I'm actually working at the office, and so this answer would have applied before the pandemic when we were working remote, I have, no, I've moved offices a few times. So I had a small office. I had a, like, I've got a big office now. But I like having that space that's mine. Yeah. You know, like it's, you know, it's nothing fancy. I mean, I, I decorate it and stuff, but it is like, a place where I can just kind of go in and, you know, I, I, I it's like a cave, right? Like I, I have the lights out in my room. There's a little bit of natural light that kind of comes in the front of the office. I've just got one sort of little lamp that kind of points against the wall just to throw a little bit of light in the room. But I can shut my brain off there and focus. Like even if I'm not focusing on work, you know, sometimes it's like I'm, I'm, I'm done work and I'm just kind of sitting around spacing out for half an hour afterwards or whatever. I like having that space like at home while I love being here and there's no, you know, no need to wear pants. Usually Um, (laughs) there's, there's all the distractions of your life around you. All the things you want to do for fun. Yeah. And you know, like you and I worked in cube farms before and call centers and stuff and like everything's a distraction there. There's just no, no space to even think in those sorts of environments. And now I finally have and have had for a while my own space and I'm much more productive. I'm infinitely more like unstressed. And, I mean, yeah, unstressed, but just in a better head space in general. Like even yeah. when I'm, you know, like I, this week I, I found out that I've got basically seven work days to do what I was expecting to be 16 or 18 work days worth of work. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so it's a big crunch, but 
I can go in, I can shut my door, I can dim my lights if I want to throw a podcast on and listen to it. If I want to throw some music on and listen to it, I can just kind of hunker down. And when I get in there, it's one of those things where like, oh man, like I haven't had a break in forever. I have to get up for some reason. And I realize I've all seized up because like, you know, sat down at at 830 and started doing some stuff. And it's like, oh, it's three o'clock now. (laughs) But you got why can't I move? Yeah. 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 So that'd be my answer to that question. And of course, the people. The people. I don't understand why so many workplaces think that like there's some jobs that that make sense. Like when when we're brainstorming something, it makes sense to put everybody around a table with, you know, some colored Lego and stuff where you can actually shoot ideas back and forth. Um, And like I would I would be the first to say that, you know, that works better when you're in person. Mm-hmm. but like most of like, I'm very lucky that my boss knows what I do. Like he actually got promoted out of this job into being a manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he knows what I do and he knows what it takes. Um, but m- like most of the work that I do is literally, here's your assignment, go do it, bring it back when you're done. And like previous, uh, management that i've worked for has been like the same kind of work but we want you to be in this room with five other people where you can you know collaborate right but that's not what my job is right like that's not that's not what i do what i do is i sit down and i concentrate and i i you know basically produce the impossible Mm -hmm. in you know with no time and no tools for no money so uh, yeah (laughs) I don't know. And this, it was the same thing with the call centers. Like you must report to this big building where you will answer the phone. Right. Like I don't, I don't need to wear pants to answer phone calls. No. I mean, do you remember that when we first started, they wanted us to dress business casual. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why? It's not like we're doing video phone calls. Yeah. I mean, I kind of got it, especially early on because like, you know, we worked for a call center that was, a third party sort of call center taking outsourced work from clients that were fairly frequently around in those early days. So like it was all about yeah, posing, you know, yeah. the image of the company. Like I know that if it was like a first party call center, it would have been completely different. You know? Yeah, I, I did find it kind of funny. It's like, here are some people that were in a bar literally as as little as 15 minutes ago. And yeah, they're wearing collared shirts, but you can still smell alcohol in their breath. Like, <laughs> like who do you think we're impressing? Yeah, right? especially on the night shift. We both work nights. Oh, yeah. Like overnights, not night nights. Like our shifts generally started at about 7 or 8 o'clock at night and went through until whenever yeah <laughs> i had i had one shift that they put me on that started at midnight and if i if i punched in at 11:59 it didn't log me in cuz it was the day before and if you remember there was like a 5 minute grace period so i literally had to punch in between 12am and 12:05 and if i missed that window i was either absent that day or i was late yeah yeah stop. Oh man, I, you know what? I gave my all at that call center. I worked so hard between midnight and about one thirty AM on Monday. Mm. (laughs) And that was about the level of effort that I gave at that job. 
when That's when I when finally bust out the chess boards and Unreal Tournament. Oh, and... God, yeah. I mean, I literally could get my work done in that first hour and a half. When I left, did you know? Like, I I sat down for my review and I asked them for a nickel. I was making thirteen ninety five an hour, and I said I would like that extra nickel, and they wouldn't give it to me, so I quit. And I mean, I was lucky enough to be in a position to do that. Kind of. Um, but the thing that amused me was like literally right before that was you're the best employee we've got. I can't give you a raise. I want a yeah. nickel. It's like $10 a year. I want a nickel. Can't yeah. give it to you. I quit. There were four messages on my answering machine when I got home begging me to come back. I'm like, it was a nickel, right? Like blow smoke up my ass. Tell me, hey, listen, I'll go to bat for you. And I don't know when it's going to happen. Yeah. Maybe you keep me for an extra two weeks. Probably not. And so dumb, because they could have just, you know, like, inflated one hour of overtime yeah. pay, like, yeah. illegitimately. Like, your manager could have skirted around upper management and just said, you know what? Mondays? You work nine hours. Yeah. Yeah. It for been the easy first Monday easy. of the month or whatever. And, and then, you know, you, you yeah. would have got your nickel, but nope. nope. That's not what it so says on the dumb. spreadsheet. Yeah, it so was. Dumb. All right, we got a couple questions from Ian. Uh, <laughs> when television or other remotes uh, have died or they're near dead, batteries he's referring to, do you press the buttons harder? Well, of course. How else? I mean, you, you have to go through the troubleshooting steps. And troubleshooting step number one is, did I make a mistake? Did I actually push the button? Let me push it again to make sure. <laughs> oh, maybe I didn't push it hard enough. I'll push it harder. And the funny thing is sometimes they, I don't know if it's like a capacitance thing. But sometimes like you, you push the button and you hold it for a second and it works one last time. Yeah. Do you? I used to, but, uh, honestly, I, uh, I don't use a lot of remote controls anymore. What? Uh, we have one for the, the, the TV downstairs that we use, but almost everything else, like I'm driving with uh, my phone or, or some sort of other media device. So it's not much of a problem. Also, <laughs> Our dog ate the remote for the TV. <laughs> so it's it's it still functions. It's kind of chewed up on the front, but the the bat <laughs> the 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 uh little clippy thing that goes over the battery compartment, like uh -huh. that's gone and I, I couldn't be bothered to try and like design one up, 3D print it just to replace it. Oh, so no tape. The the yeah, well what happens is the batteries will fall out like long before they're dead. And <laughs> often I'm just putting fresh batteries in because I can't figure out where they are. You know, like it'll get left out and the dog will be playing with it one morning or something. You hear something <laughs> right out in there. It's like, oh shit, there's no batteries. They're probably under the couch. I'll find them at some point. Let me <sighs> just throw some friggin' fresh AAA. So my batteries never die. That's kind of great. <laughs> my dog ate the remote control. That's amazing. <laughs> Now, I do have, and I've been toughing it out because I'm so stubborn, and it isn't even going to cost me money, but I've got a uh, an Apple Magic Mouse that I use while I'm working 
it's a shitty mouse, but it's nice that like I have just smooth scrolling both up and down and sideways. So right. I don't do a lot of like extra line breaks when I'm I'm writing code. Like I'm happy to have long lines because I can just like wee side by side. Think of it like using a touchpad on a laptop where you've got sort of momentum scrolling enabled. Okay. And I've become so dependent on it that like even if I'm doing personal work from home on one of my machines where I'm not using that mouse, it's it's kind of annoying. But for probably three years now, it's been doing this weird thing, whether I've got uh, full batteries or not, but it happens more often when my batteries are close to dead, where it'll just like stop responding for a second. And sometimes I've got to like give it a little bit of a tap or something to get it to kick in, in or, or like switch off and, and switch on. I could order a new one tomorrow, you know, and expense it. Like that's not the problem, but I find myself getting more aggressive with it. Just like <laughs> smack, smack, smack. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing some golden tea on that magic mouse. Oh, so that's <laughs> kind of the same. It's like one of those things where like it stops clicking and you just like you, you click multiple times as if that's going to help. Oh, we talked about Diablo yesterday. Yes. Uh, like, I mean, how many, how many mice do you think that you burnt out the left button playing Diablo? Because you had to, you couldn't hold down the left mouse button. You had to click for every time you wanted to attack. Definitely one. Yeah. I don't think I played Diablo enough. Oh, I did. Now, there's been lots of other games like where I've I've broken mouse playing, you know, um even World of Warcraft and like I, you know, I didn't use my mouse for much besides like camera control and and whatnot, but just click grabbing and stuff. I definitely busted a few mice there. Uh, I used to use the MMO gaming mice like the Razer Naga and now the uh, Logitech uh, G600s. That guy? This guy here? Yep. Yep. Uh, use that with my uh, G13, which you also have, right? The the Logitech G13 game board. That's downstairs on my, my other machine. Oh, you got the keyboard. No, the little side... Uh, yeah, I have that too. It's in okay. a drawer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, I've gone through one of those, replaced it, went through two Razer Naga mice before switching to the, the G600, couldn't kill it. And like at the time that it was probably starting to wear out, it's when I kind of quit playing WoW. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, another question from Ian. Uh, I enjoyed your insight into what you felt were good and bad depictions of technology in movie and television. Semi-related, do you have any movies that you watch repeatedly, like on an annual basis? If so, why? I mean, yes. Um, my my wife has low-grade OCD, so we, we tend to do things on a schedule. Um, Encanto is actually on repeat in our house uh, lately. It's mostly for the music. Uh, when Cindy's doing something creative, she'll just put it on and listen to it. And I mean, like, I'm still not tired of it. It's yeah. a great movie. Um, we watch the Die Hard movies every Christmas. Uh, they're terrible, <laughs> but I enjoy them greatly. Um, and Princess Bride gets watched repeatedly for sure. As it should. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I, after conversations with one of my coworkers, friend of mine, uh, Aaron, uh, he's learned young grasshopper. Uh, new girlfriend, like in the past 
guess it's been three or four months now. And he did the Princess Bride test with her. Once it was getting serious, you know, like, hey, hey, like, you know, I'm, I'm we're considering this being, you know, casual dating and to, to, to being serious. Had her watch The Princess Bride because, like, if the person that you watch that movie doesn't like it, like, yeah, they're not the one. Move on. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. It's one of those movies that, like, most movies are fairly subjective, you know? People like what they like. They don't like what they like. And I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum. But that movie, and, and there are a few others, but that's one where, like, if somebody doesn't like it, they're wrong. Just flat <laughs> can, out wrong. I can see somebody not loving it. Uh, there's there's some, and this is, this is something I was talking about with some friends today, is that... <clears throat> sort of the uh, the rhythm of how movies work has changed. Like I tried to watch the original Ocean's Eleven and I couldn't. No. Like it was just too, like it was too slow. It was the first hour almost. Because mm-hmm. um, we got through 45 minutes to an hour of it. And, and that whole time it was basically just uh, uh, James Dean and, uh, what's his name? Frank Sinatra pouring each other drinks. Like, I, I mean, there's character development, there's dialogue and, and there's, you know, some, and for, at the time they were incredibly popular. So there were lots of people who had watched just because, Hey, here's these two guys that are really popular and we want to see them do stuff, but like nothing really happens. Mm-hmm. And at the time it was fine because that's, that's how m- movies were made. Right. Um, but now it just, it feels cause it's so far outside of the formula. Yeah, like they, I mean, they probably had a different formula back then, and maybe that was more in line with it. But I agree that, like, you become so accustomed to the formula that when something strays too far outside, like, there's it feels wrong watching it, and you can't always, like, put your finger on why. Like, sometimes it's actually quite off putting. And you know what? Horror movies do that, suspenseful horror movies sometimes do that Mm -hmm. uh, on purpose. To great effect but yeah anyway it was very weird yeah so i'm at the uh old man stage of my life so like, grumpy old man grumpier old man grumpiest old man uh <laughs> <laughs> no i just i have like you know and they're not always old movies but like i have movies that like we just watch like when you're wanting to just throw something on to like waste time in an evening, like there's some movies that I'll watch multiple times a year. Actually the, the, the George Clooney, Brad Pitt oceans 11 happens to be one of them. Yeah, it's like, not I bad. probably watch it a couple times a year. Just, you know, there's enough chemistry with, with that ensemble cast that like, I mean, I don't, don't care that I know the movie inside out, you know, I feel <sighs> warm and fuzzy just, experiencing them experiencing each other kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of action flicks that I'm like that with too. Um, one movie, which I'm hoping, hoping gets a sequel one day. Um, Cause it's fantastic for, for sci-fi uh, slash action is the Tom Cruise edge of tomorrow. Or if it's the, the live die repeat sort of renamed yep. version of it. Fantastic movie. Like I'm not, a, you know, uh, <laughs> 
I'd like almost everything Tom Cruise does, but it's very yeah. rarely because of Tom Cruise. Yeah. You know, like he's, he's, he's great. He's fine. Like, you know, and I understand yeah. that he's a big part of making movies like that viable. Yep. But sometimes when he does the weird stuff, like uh, takes a risk with something like Edge of Tomorrow, it's like, wow, this is fantastic. I'm so glad he got behind it because it would have never been made. Yep. And then he does a movie around the same time, like Oblivion, which is like, eh. Eh, it was, it was okay. Eh, here's, here's the funny thing about Tom Cruise. He is an excellent supporting main actor. <laughs> Right. Like he's really good, but I mean, it, he's basically he you could replace it. You could almost replace him with a cardboard cutout of himself and it would be good enough. Yeah, almost. Yeah. But, the, you know, like the, the I don't want to say it's intangible because it's very tangible. But like the stuff outside of the, the stuff you see on the screen that he brings to a movie, you know, the expectation for doing your own stunt work, the expectation for practical effects like that. Yeah. Did you watch the Top Gun sequel? I have not. It hasn't come to any streaming service that I actually subscribe to yet, so I haven't I haven't watched it. But I've heard it's good. It is um, fantastic. And it's, I, you know, I mean, it's an okay movie, but, like, just it's such a visual spectacle. Yeah. You know? I tried to watch the original Top Gun a few weeks ago, and it was like, oh, the formula has changed just enough that I can't enjoy this anymore. Yeah, that whole 80s, I mean, I was a little bit young to really appreciate it anyway, but that 80s thing. Oh, yeah, the shtick. Yeah, just, I bounced off of it, you know. 90s schlock, on the other hand, like I'm... Yeah. I can watch all the 90s schlock, the the worst movies, you know, that ever came out in the 90s. Uh, They're great. I mean, they're horrible, but they're great. Uh, wifey and I went through uh, the Underworld series fairly recently, and I'm like, oh, oh, oh these those, are so bad. Oh, those but were they're bad. so good. They were so bad. Oh my not god. Like, not like Red Letter Media, best of the worst, bad, good. No, but like bad. Like they're actually trying, so it's yeah. worse that is it, that it's as bad as it is. Like there's money behind it. Ah, that's. I mean, we were talking about Edge Lords and D and D, and pretty much that entire series is just like it's all Edge Lords. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody is. I'm the shadowy character in the corner. Uh so segue and to go back to something you were talking about, Brad Pitt and George Clooney in the um, Ocean's movie. Yeah, and the the chemistry they have. Mm-hmm. Um, Man, I don't want to sound gay or nothing, but has Brad Pitt ever actually done a bad movie? Hmm. Yeah. Let me think. Okay. I'm going to say a bad movie for me, not a bad movie for everyone. Like there's some movies that I just like intellectually can't. Just I can't just even? can't. Like, like burn after reading. I don't think I saw that one. The, you know, like, I forget what he's like an exercise instructor, or like personal trainer or something like that. And it just, you know, playing sort of the vapid, empty headed kind of oh. eye candy man. And I mean, he's an I mean, he played man. the part. For, oh, dude. Yeah. And he played the part well. It's just, it was one of those movies where like, it's a type of comedy that I just don't, yeah, don't resonate I, with and a lot of people love it uh, I, I just can't 
I have that problem with Will Ferrell movies. Mm, yeah, I like Will Ferrell when he's not in movies. Yes, I love Will Ferrell when he's playing, like when he's when he's when he's actually acting. Mm-hmm. I think Will Ferrell is a very talented actor when he's playing that. I'm going to say things in a funny voice and act all uncomfortable about what's going on. Yeah. Like, I don't, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't tickle my, my fancy. I'm sure like, obviously people like it. They keep coming back to it. So, I mean, more power to you. I just, I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. As Jim Carrey effect too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And when Jim Carrey started doing actual acting, it's like, yeah, he's got chops, right? And I think that's one of the things that I struggle with is, you know, I'm a reasonably smart dude. Like I'm not, you know. I'm trying to toot my own horn here, but I struggle with people that are smart and I know they're smart acting, acting stupid. stupid. Yeah. That's hard. Like if it's done in a way where there's a meta where it's clever. Yes. You know, there was uh speaking of, uh, cause we're, we're still watching uh, Veronica Mars with Kristen Bell. She did a comedy skit one time where she, uh, she was like playing herself, getting prepared for a role, mm-hmm. right? And she was she was playing like playing really dumb, and it was obvious that she was playing really dumb, really badly, and it was hilarious. Uh, she it was it was uh, oh my gosh, she was talking about her makeup artist and how she was so. Uh, so grateful for them and so impressed by them. It's like, you got to cover up 127 tattoos. It takes like, you know, 23 hours. And here we are covering up my 127 tattoos while I'm getting my 128th tattoo. And there's literally a makeup artist covering up tattoos at one end and a tattoo artist making a tattoo at the other end. (laughs) So speaking of bad movies, uh, there's, there's a movie that, no one has ever watched or enjoyed, and I absolutely love Hudson Hawk. Like it was ridiculous, it was awful, it was bad, but it was put together so well, and it had so much, it had so much tongue-in-cheek humor that I just like. I, I, I don't know. I just love it. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen it? A uh, long, long time ago. I don't remember much of it, honestly. I mean, it, it's basically, you know, uh, Bruce Willis gets out of prison for being a cat burglar and mm-hmm. gets, you know, hunkered in by uh, these evil masterminds who want him to do some last job. And he's like a super extra massive thief and he's trying to go straight. And then there's all these hijinks and it's, you know, it's entirely predictable mm-hmm. completely from start to finish. But there's just like it was almost the first, I would say, because it was in the the late 80s or early 90s um, of those sort of rapid fire quip movies going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, they've they became sort of popular where it's just it's just like wall to wall catchphrases. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was it was really enjoyable for the time. I'm sure that if we were to go back and watch it now, it would be once again. Oh, boy. This is outside the formula and it's uncomfortable. (laughs) Should be an explosion here. We talked about video games earlier in this episode. So I'm going to, going to throw a movie at you because this is another one of my watch it a couple times a year movies that is absolutely terrible. And I love it. 
and that is the um, Jake Gyllenhaal Prince of Persia. That was a 2009-ish, I want to say, that it came out. Might have been a little later than that. Yeah, maybe 2010, but the, that sort of era. like It's not a very good like Prince of Persia. It's, it's not, not a, a great movie. movie. Nope. <laughs> and I love it. I mean, Jake I like Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal in general, right? Like, I mean, he smashed the role, but the movie itself is awful. Oh yeah, like you know, like there aren't many redeeming qualities about the movie. Whether you look at it, you know, from a historical accuracy, from you know, being faithful to the <sighs> video game, to I mean, the, the, the effects for the time were reasonable. Like, they were they okay, too bad, yeah. But I you mean, know, you and, may as well have ben called Kingsley it Kingsley hamming it up. Like that's always <sighs> worth the price of oh, the that's for sure. Yeah. I'm I'm an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you may as well have called that movie, you know, cultural stereotype the movie. Yeah, guess like this society has like I really like that sort of uh, the trope of that imaginary society. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm pretty sure that that. Because, I mean, they did a little bit of that in Conan, too, right? The original Conan the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that sort of aesthetic. But, you know, in any way to try and say, this is what it's really like. Really? Wall-to-wall white people in the Middle East. <laughs> Seems unlikely. Yes. Well. <laughs> I don't care how tanned you are. That's a white dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, is it? Is it better or worse that they're just letting them look and be white doing it now, as opposed to, oh. you know, like you look at sort of the the heyday of like Western era, oh right? man, where it's like like white dudes playing guys from Mexico, and they're just like they they literally painted them and just hope you can't, oh, like the the know, number of Native Americans or or whatever. It's just. There's a, okay, so talking about bad movies, there is a series of movies that I find really hilarious. I think that they're Italian. Um, it's uh, they're, the two characters are brothers, the left hand and the right hand of the devil. And it's my name is. Uh, it was one of those super quick draw movies. I have to look it up now because they are really good. And I would recommend that you. Um, my name is Trinity. Uh, there is, and it is literally like they literally paint people red. Uh, they call me Trinity is the is the original one, uh, and there is a Trinity and Bambino, and then the yeah, sequel Trinity. Trinity is still my name. Uh, and then in 1995, there was Sons of Trinity, which I have no idea about. But they call me Tr- – it's very much worth watching. The guy who is – I may have mentioned this before. The guy who is this is the – or the character who is the star of the movie is is literally the uh, the archetype for my my life. It's It opens with a uh, sort of a scene of him – being towed behind his horse on a travois into town. Like he literally doesn't ride his horse. He mm. takes off his boots, hangs them from the travois, lays down and has a nap while his horse takes him to the next town. 
Like that's that's his shtick is that he just doesn't and he's always I mean he's always covered in dirt. He doesn't bathe. It's just I mean he's the laziest of the lazy things that you like just the the amount of of avoidance of work is fantastic hmm. yeah haven't even heard of him you you really should watch it it's it's amazingly bad turn on subtitles you won't understand anything <laughs> so i'm i'm planning maybe we should actually like actually do an in-person sort of meetup because I've been wanting to, and I've talked about it with Tanya, actually going through and watching all of Neil Breen's movies. Like, oh god, start no. to finish. No, <laughs> hard no. Uh, I will not watch any movie where the star, actor, director, producer, writer is only wears blank ta- black tank black tops. Tank tops I, yes. I won't do it. <laughs> Yeah, we, you know, I mean, we've obviously, my introduction to those is watching the best of the worst stuff, the Red Letter Media. Yeah. And I, I'm so fascinated with him as a person. Oh, he is so broken. Like, uh, <laughs> so much so that when we did the little D&D one shots there in your hub campaign where I was doing like the Mass Effect stuff, mm-hmm. like I was going to have an entire alien species named <laughs> the Neil Breen. You were going to encounter like uh, like a holographic sort of VI type Neil Breen, you know, this dude that looks like he's trying very very hard to look human. <laughs> They're going to be like a, a race from like one of the previous cycles or whatever. Like that was going to be tied to trying to to figure out the plot that I had, and I, we didn't stick with that long enough for me to really pull the trigger on that one. Oh my god, Neil Breen! You know what would be a great movie? Neil Breen is an alien. Like that's the title, and it's literally just following him around with like gorilla footage of what he does on a normal day. Ah, <laughs> uh, and yeah. then the penult- like the final scene is him taking off his mask, and he's actually a lizard. <laughs> so for for anyone that's completely lost at this point, don't go watch any Neil Breen movies. You have been warned. I do recommend watching the red letter media stuff. Now the, the best of the worst episode that kind of kicked it off. I will have to warn you. It is, uh, they had Max Landis on as a special guest that I know he's, he's intense. A bit, of a, a, a bit of a pariah now too. I think they delisted that episode for a while. I think it's relisted again, but you can find other people that have it on. If you can, deal with you know the 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 gag reflex that's associated with watching him um it's still worth a watch that was their introduction to neil breen and they've now done probably three maybe four of his movies he actually has a new movie coming out this year it's been winning awards at random country like film festivals and like i don't think he's in on the joke because it's <laughs> like their awards that it's like fan favorite sort of type of awards. So like people are just for the memes right. voting for him. Right. Yeah. And like, he's, he seems to be genuinely proud of it, but not ironically, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> no publicity is bad publicity. If you're going to go and watch red letter media, I, I recommend you start with the star Wars holiday special episode. Yeah. 
Yeah, it comes in two parts. The first part is better than the second part. In the second part, they actually talk about the Star Wars holiday special. In the first part, they do everything. They, it's literally an hour and a half of them avoiding talking about the Star Wars holiday special, and it yeah. is it is peak internet. Yeah, and if you haven't actually watched the Star Wars holiday special... Don't. Uh, don't. <laughs> Just don't. Don't. Oh my god. It's 45 minutes of Wookiees with no subtitles. Like, who, who thought that was like... I, I mean, I know people did a lot of coke in the 80s, but oh my god. <sighs> and just, like, odd choices, you know? Like, they tried to do the variety show thing and just failed so miserably. <laughs> oh, so bad. Like, the the scene where you're, you're watching... Uh, a, a Wookiee essentially watching like VR porn <laughs> with that that woman singing and and and, and being yeah. all sexy, and he's just like, oh, yeah, his fucking helmet just, on. It's it uncomfortably bad. You like, know, this is made for children. I know, and it's not in frame, but you know his lipstick is coming out. <laughs> <laughs> This this the Star Wars holiday special, and I have never seen it. I've seen bits and pieces of it, um, but it strikes me as something that is so bad it's gone past being so bad it's good into just being bad again. Yes, that's how bad it is. Like it's so bad it should be good, but it's worse than that. So it's just bad. Mm-hmm. It's one of those ones that, like, if you, I would like to like record myself watching it. I wouldn't because it'd just be a string of why, why, <laughs> no, why, no. I think it, and the thing is, like, they had a lot of a lot of talent and star power. Like the the whatever troupe it is that's doing the dancing is really good. Mm-hmm. Not my cup of tea. Not something I really want to watch on TV. But whatever, you know, it was the style at the time. Like having an onion tied to your belt. Um, uh, but what's his name's like cross-dressed cooking show and right. And that's, that's, that's actually kind of my point. They had, uh, like all of like Carol Burnett's troop, right. Who are all very talented and very funny people. And you can very much tell they went, well, we don't have a script. Just, I don't know, be funny. And that doesn't work. Like you don't need to give them a lot, but you do need to give them something. Right. I mean, like you can't you can't do a 15 minute whose line is it anyway. There's a reason that all of those skits are like five to six minutes is because that's like, how much improv you've got. I want to believe in my head that as coked out as Carrie Fisher was like she didn't intend on singing. She's just like, fuck it. Somebody's got to do something. Yeah. Like I feel guilty. So fuck it. I'm going to sing. Yeah. I mean, badly. whatever. You know what? Carrie yeah. Fisher was a performer. Yes. Yeah, say say what you want about her. If if you put her in front of an audience, she's going to entertain you. I mean, she might do it by being a little bit out there, mm-hmm. but it's entertaining. <laughs> you can see though, it's funny with the the red letter media guys say you can literally see Harrison Ford go, All right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> you can see him nope out of the Star Wars universe. And it happens during the holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I, I'm an actor. Damn it. What am I doing here? <laughs> uh, Speaking of Harrison Ford, do you have any um, 
desire to see the new Indiana Jones movie? I do. Um, only because I saw a quote from Harrison Ford arguing with the digital effects people where he said, I'm an old man. Damn it. Let me look like an old man. Like don't CG me running. I run like an old man because I'm an old man. Mm -hmm. Leave it. And that's, and I'm fine with that. Like I'm fine with him. I, I'm hoping, cause I think they were going to try and hand over the franchise to, uh, to paper bag head dude, uh, Shia LaBeouf. But I'm I'm pretty sure that he's he's not getting any work anymore. Um, but I'm perfectly fine with them like handing it off to somebody. Uh, and I like the Indiana Jones franchise. I think that punching Nazis is a is a good is a good shtick, and we should we should have more movies about that. Uh, Generally, like punching Nazis is just something yeah. everybody needs more of. Yep, yep. I think it could happen. Uh, it could happen more in, in real, real life. life. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of do want to, I'm not going to the theater for it. No, sorry. So, so what is your position? I don't know that you and I have ever talked about, uh, crystal skull. No, I don't think we have. Um, did you, did you hate it as much as, uh, you know, like, I know everybody has to like, either it's the best thing ever, you know, it's the worst thing ever. This is the internet. There is no nuanced opinion. Yeah. Everything is literally the greatest or literally the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. I think about three months ago, I rewatched it again. So maybe my third time watching it. Well, you've watched it twice more than me. It's. It's okay. I wouldn't go that far. It is, it is, it is bad. And you can tell it's one of those movies that like everybody that's in it, like again, amazing cast. Yeah. You know, yeah. and like Shia LaBeouf, he takes a lot of heat for that. Like he's actually a pretty talented actor in a lot of the stuff I that think, he does. He, I think he did really well in that movie. Yeah, I think you know, he's a weird dude in real life. Yeah, as an actor, I think he's fine. The um, now did George Lucas write that? Yes. Like I know that's obviously like he's not a great writer. That's why the prequels were you know mostly as bad as they were. He's a great visionary. He's not a good writer, and he's a terrible right. director. He's the big idea guy. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't seen, like I've watched the crystal skull once and I thought it was okay. Um, what I do remember more of though, is watching the uh, interviews with, uh, with Spielberg and uh, the actress who plays Marion and, and Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. Um. And I remember getting the distinct impression that Steven Spielberg was trying very hard not to say George Lucas is a lunatic and somebody needs to rein him in. Cause that like, that was the subtext of his entire interview was just mm -hmm. like, Oh my God. <laughs> right. And that's the, that's the thing though, is that that's the genius of, of George Lucas is that he goes like, I'm going to go off everywhere. And if so, there's somebody there to say, okay, let's knock the sharp corners off of that and turn it into a packageable product. And now it's a great idea. Do you think like, I almost think you're giving George Lucas too much credit there because I look at like the great things about star Wars and most of it like is directly out of, of concept art that he had nothing to do with, you know, he just kind of like took it, put it on the screen and the rest of it was stuff he borrowed from old shit. 
I mean, every every great art thing that you've ever seen or heard of is stolen from somewhere. Yeah, I just like I try and look at even the the, the good Star Wars, the old movies, and and find find a specific thing that I can credit specifically to him, and I I kind of come up empty. Other than the, I, the, the movies happened, you know. I yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I think I, I think his passion is probably a large part of why th- those things happened is because he was just so excited about it that people mm-hmm. came along. Um, here's something I think you can probably credit to George Lucas. Many of the alien races in that universe are named after things that were probably on the menu for lunch that he had that day. Like my octopus meat. <laughs> Mon calamari. Yep. Uh, you know, midichlorians, the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> uh, anyway, I mean, they were good stories and I, I mean, I, I enjoyed them for what they are. I, you know, I don't even really hate the prequels. I don't think that they were super awesome or anything. Had some cool moments. They uh, they explained a little too much. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know what? I'm not going to get into it. We don't have six hours. And Red Letter Media has already done it. Yeah. Well, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about, or shall we call this a show? And I'll try and try and piece together the fragments and something reasonably coherent I, I i don't think that i have much except that you need to put a test pattern in there with technical difficulties on it somewhere and please god edit out my uh distracted stumbling dialogue of mostly empty silence as you were gone and i was trying to think of something to say no no it's all, it's oh. all i'm gonna like zoom right in on you Uh, yeah, like I say, I have a whole lot more respect now for people who talk to a, a blank <laughs> camera and have something to actually say. Cause I was just, I got nothing. I, I don't know what to say. It's, let me tell you about what happened in the third grade and the, the crayons and the funny colors. Tell you my, my theory of, of why, you know, the lizard people are taking over uh, parliament Hill or something. I got See, I wanted to have that conversation. We'll get into well, that. Well, you just I, you you gotta yeah you gotta get your um your generator going there so we can talk about lizard people. <laughs> Put on your tinfoil hat and let's go for it. All right, man. Well, it's good shooting the shit with you. Uh, we'll do it again. Um, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna get all official and podcasty about this. If you liked what you heard, I don't know, like us or something. <laughs> Yeah, give like us give sm- us a review wherever you can do it. I don't know. We're on like Apple Podcasts and 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 Google Podcasts and Spotify and Torb, garlic shrimp and <laughs> coconut shrimp and I don't know. I'm not I'm not good at this. I'm not good at uh, this. Smash that subscribe button. We're on our way to a million subscribers. If you like and subscribe now, it really helps out the channel. And then you can buy our merch in the merch store and links in the doobly-doo down below. Probably yeah, we, not. we don't have any of that. Oh, no, no, no. Leave, no, no. leave a comment. Ask a question. 
give them the email address so they can send us questions. Yeah, yeah. Send us uh, send us an email to uh, podbag at nerdingundertheinfluence.com so we don't have to make up our own questions or go to Ian every time. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all I got. Let's do it. Uh, good night, man. All Let's right. Let's pull that outro.